we good. You guys ready to go? Thank you. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the My Side of the Block podcast. If today is your first time listening, we want to say welcome. Make sure you guys check us out, not only on the video right here, check us out on YouTube at Stoop Knockout, and check us out on audio at all your favorite podcasting apps. Just look for My Side of the Block podcast. Now today, guys, I can't tell you how excited I am for this episode. I've actually been waiting to do this episode since before fantasy football started. That's right. We didn't even make our fantasy football list yet, and I already wanted to do this episode because I, I went to get a t-shirt that I had made, and it ended up being an a hour and a half conversation about this topic. And I, ever since then, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I've seen it every week during the NFL, and I'm ready for it. Now, what I want to talk to you guys about today, well, what I'm not going to talk, but what our guest here, our guy who beat our co-host in the debate, my man Steve Taylor. Welcome to the house, man. We are glad to have you here, bro. Listen, man, I'm happy to be back, and um, just get your popcorn ready. This episode is going to... Guaranteed to be shocking. Absolutely, dude. Uh, guys, if you don't know what we're talking about already, then uh, you have been listening to our episodes because we said in the last like three, we've been posting in our group, The Stoop Life. Check that out on Facebook. We're going to be talking about the NFL being rigged. Now, I know a lot of you out there don't really think the NFL is rigged because you want to think it's, you know, just it's all glory by God that they won't do that to you guys. But I hate to tell you this. It's pretty rigged. It's pretty rigged. And I, if you listen to my podcast all year, TJ, you know it. I say it every week when I make my picks. No guarantee because the NFL is rigged. But today, listen, we aren't just coming to you guys as fans because I'm mad the Eagles won- didn't win or, or PJ's mad that Green Bay didn't win. Steve's going to come to you guys with facts, information, and stuff that's going to blow your goddamn mind. So – I don't even know where we get started yeah. with this. I'm just going to le- give it to PJ. If you want to say any opening statements, I'm just going to sit here, drink my drink here, and I'm just going to listen to Steve go off. So let's get it. Listen, listen the NFL is 110% rigged. There's no way that the fail Mary should have even been like happening. <laughs> like, I'm going to let Steve get to it, but I've been, I've been holding in the fail Mary for eight years. So you already understand. If a guy can catch the guy who caught the ball in his chest and it's a touchdown, then what the fuck are we doing here? Like, I guess this, I guess that's a, a play, right? Phil Mary, right? That's how it is. Yeah, we're repping. Why, why are you hiring these refs off the street that don't don't know shit? But I'm going to let Steve, you know, do it. My former opponent, you know, I'm going to let him handle this. Y'all call him Steve. I call him Steve Clutch, sir. Show him why. Oh, man, I appreciate that. Um, the first thing I, I want to say has nothing to do with football. One of the best life lessons and one of the best quotes from any movie came from the Players Club. And it wasn't about not being a stripper. It was literally about, you know, uh, Lisa Ray, her name was Diamond in, that, in case y'all never saw that. She's, you know, doing her night job and she's in a college student. She falls asleep in class. And the professor told her, like, he tried to catch her, like, not off, and she answered the question and she got it right. But the quote which was something that was very pro- profound to me was don't trust anybody's research but your own. Now, that doesn't mean that other people don't do thorough research. What that just means is trust but verify. So I'm saying that Facts, to say I don't have a reason to lie to you, but if you don't believe what I'm saying, you can check it. And then I did uh, find some links to articles like, you know, 
CBS articles, all different types of stuff, Ver verifiable sources. You just got to cross-reference stuff, and I'm just going to present it to you, and you take it for what it is. So I got one question so I for you. I got one question for you. Oh, yeah. Did you go on with are – are your sources from Wikipedia? Because <laughs> they don't count. Oh, <laughs> I know they're not, bro. No, trust me. Yo, I like the fact that you just pointed out, you know, do your own research. And I 100% I, I agree oh, with you goodness. there. That's why I did my research. I have some yeah. stuff here. And, like, I don't even want to get started. I'm going to let you take it over today. Today, you ain't a, a guest. Listen, Today's your podcast, bro. I'm a I'm going I'm to I'm post some links. There's not going to be any Wikipedia links. Now, what I will say is this. Like, even if you find something off of Wikipedia, I know it has this, like, it leaves a nasty taste in everybody's mouth. It doesn't mean yeah. you can't find valuable, uh, your research can start there, but it shouldn't end there. Put it to you like that. You can find, like, obviously, I'm not lying about people's names and birth dates and stuff like that, but take that as a point of reference and then go do some real digging. That's all I'm going to say. But no, no Wikipedia links. So the first thing I think is important, if you don't understand the past, you're not going to understand the present, and you're not going to understand the future. So the first thing we have to establish is what is the NFL's history? The NFL's history is this. It's obviously starting in Canton, Ohio. That's why the Hall of Fame is there. That was a little over 100 years ago, back in 1920. And one thing that was just interesting to me that I'll bring up is since uh, it was, uh, for the past 78 years consecutively, um, one of the biggest networks with the PBS has had a TV deal with the NFL. And the reason NFL games pretty much went to broadcast type, uh, TV was following World War II. So it was a difficult time. There was a lot going on in society. And basically, we needed a new uh, modern version of like a gladiator game, something like you would get at a Roman Coliseum, something to take your mind off of, you know, the day-to-day -day pressures and the stress of life. So that's essentially the foundation of the league and why it's not just a radio program or whatever the case may be. So now that we understand, okay, this is the foundation, this is when it started, this is where, now we have to look at some of the key figures and the foundation of the league and, and it growing and expanding. So one of the key people is, uh, his name was um, Charles Bidwell. And he actually happened to be the early financier of the Chicago Bears. He was the majority owner from 1930 to 1933. Eventually ended up purchasing the team that uh, became the Cardinals, which are the Arizona Cardinals today. And since he's been dead since 1947, but the Bidwell family, still actually owns that franchise. So it was, you know, imagine something that was purchased, you know, uh, 100 years ago, basically, and is worth, at the time, was worth maybe a couple hundred dollars, which even if you include for inflation, is worth a couple thousand dollars to a multi-billion dollar commodity. This is a big deal. This is big business, and there's a lot of money involved. And here's the, the interesting thing about him was he was a known gambler at the time, and he actually had uh, connections to Al Capone's mob. So, again, this was not a person that was, quote, unquote, in it for the love of the game and the sport. These were guys that were basically, I'm not saying they, they were like drug dealers or street hustlers, but these were guys that were into betting, horse racing, all these other different kind of things. And this was a new commodity that you can buy in cheap and make some money off of. So the betting influence has always been a part of the foundation of the league but more specifically, the owners of the league. This is just one person. So 
I spent a lot of time on him, but I'm going to just kind of summarize and get to some of the other points. So another prominent figure in the early foundation of the league, his name was Arthur B., a.k.a. Mickey McBride. And the same thing, he was the uh, founder of um, the Cleveland Browns. And not only was he connected to the mob as well, he was actually the head of their the mob's gambling newspaper called uh, Continental Racing Wire. So not only was he involved with NFL as far as... You can say rigging games or just a, a part of the gambling aspect of that. He was a part of what was uh, deemed at the time to be one of the biggest threats in the whole country with the uh, uh, betting and gambling um, newspaper that was going out to the masses. So this is some of the founders. And again, his family is still connected to the, um, the same uh, Cleveland Browns that we have today. Um, another prominent figure, his name was Timothy James Mara. The Mara family still owns um, the New York Giants. He was an actual bookie. So when he acquired the Giants at the time that he, you know, purchased the team and became the owner, he was a bookie. Do I need to even go into detail about what a bookie is and what they mean to gambling? Like, let's be, I don't even think that requires much explanation. And especially where he was at in New York, think about New York City, especially at the time, especially with everything that was going on. This is a person who owned a franchise and their family still owns it. And this is big business. So if you think that they completely gotten rid of their grandfather or maybe great grandfather's uh, ways at this time, I, I think that would be very foolish and, and you, you would be sadly mistaken. Um, now, just to bring up something that's a little bit more modern, the, uh, this person, his name was um, Edward John DeBarto Sr. So he was the original, or not the original, he was somebody who purchased the 49ers in the late 70s. Um, so he also purchased, or at least the family as a, as a unit, also purchased um, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they owned the Penguins from 77 to 91. And same thing, the uh, DiBartello family still owns the 49ers, but here's what's so interesting. So he purchases them in the late 70s, 77, I believe, was the exact time. And then immediately after purchasing them, you know, he changes management around. They become the dynasty of the 80s. But here's the interesting thing. So he eventually passes away. His son gains ownership over the team. So Ed Jr. was a part of um, a gambling ring. So he was actually, he bribed a um, Louisiana governor $400,000 for a riverboat casino license. And long story short, what ended up happening was the guy who was the governor that he bribed he got uh, 18 counts of fraud, including money laundering, mail fraud, wire fraud, etc. He spent two years in jail. The person who financed him spent no time in jail. Ed Jr. just basically got a million dollar fine, which is, you know, nothing compared to his net worth. And he didn't do any jail time at all. And then interestingly enough, this happened in 98. So what happens is once the whole scandal came out, 99, he couldn't be directly a part of the team. He passes ownership on, on. But interestingly enough, in very recent, in 2020, exact date would being February 18th, Trump actually gave him a presidential pardon as well. So when people start thinking about how does this really affect the bigger picture? Are there other people involved? Is it too many moving parts and too big? The thing about it is you only have to have a couple people connected to, to move mountains, right? If, you get, if you're able to get a presidential pardon for something, um, that happened decades ago. You didn't even spend any time in jail. And the person that you finance, you know, he, he, they're the person that, that has to do all the time. 
it's easy for you to keep, you know, your hand in a pot from afar and do things that are going to manipulate uh, the money. So people have to understand that this is big business. And, you know, we, we see just with regular stuff, you know, people get into fights, people shoot and kill people for a couple hundred dollars that you might owe somebody in the street or you in the club. This person stepped on my jade. What do you think these people are out here doing when billions of dollars are on the line? So, so we have to stop being naive about that. And I'm going to get into the NFL more because if you ask the average person, hey, is this, uh, how is this possible? It can't be rich, so on and so forth. One, they didn't do any research, so they don't even know the kind of stuff I'm bringing up because, like, I was shocked to know, like, wait, an NFL owner was able to start a team and he has connects to Al Capone. Like, this is one of the most notorious gangsters in American history. This isn't like, you know, some local drug dealer or somebody who's, you know, who thinks he's a kingpin. This dude was, he was powerful. So for him to have any connection to something that's supposed to be this large commodity and there's supposed to be all this integrity and stuff, I'm like, that that to me was very, very telling. But people will say, well, who cares about that? Even the stuff that happened more recently, that was the late 90s. This was, you know, in the 30s and 40s and how long ago? But here's the thing. The NFL as a business right now, and this is the part where some people might notice, some people might not, but it, the NFL as a business is not technically a competitive sports league. The legal standing is under is sports entertainment. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's talk about what's in the sports entertainment bracket. There's only three things. Roller derby, nobody gives a crap about that. So they should rig their stuff just for people to watch it at all. And the only other thing that's in it is pro wrestling, like the WWE. Do I need to tell you that when, you know, Stone Cold beat the, the Rock at WrestleMania, do I need to tell you that they knew the outcome of the match beforehand? Now, does that mean they're stripping every single wrestling move and everything? No, there's still people. They still have some charisma and they're able to kind of freestyle somewhat. But if you got like put it to you like this, if they're going to break the Spanish announce table, they know about it. If somebody's going to win on the Stone Cold Stunner, is he going to hit him over the chair and the ref's not looking? They know about that type of stuff. So it's the same thing. It's not saying that every single play is scripted and they're giving each other hand signals and doing stuff. No. All you can have, somebody can, you know, make a spectacular play that they're maybe not supposed to make and a ref could throw a flag and it's negated. And, the agile, and, and, and fans that are watching it say, well, that didn't look right or that's a phantom call doesn't negate the fact that at the end of the day, whatever they want to happen, whatever they don't want to happen, it's all under their control. And, there, and there's a reason for the manipulation. So I, I, just, I don't want to, you know, keep speaking and not have you guys have some input. So there's anything you wanted to speak on or something I, I just brought up that was kind of like shocking or that you want to talk about before I go to Owen. To yeah. The only thing I want to say about what you said is, you mean to tell me that they knew they were going to go through the Spanish table? <laughs> yeah, no, but for real, like, 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 I like what you said there because it's like, you know, in, in wrestling, they know the outcome. They know some. They know the major plays that are going to be made, and that's why I try to tell people with the NFL that's what they do. And the fact that you brought up NFL entertainment industry, a lot of people don't understand that. They don't understand the fact that. It got underneath that frame of entitlement of an organization, well, corporation, where no other sports league is under that. And that right there just says a lot. And it dates back to what you said about Al Capone being involved. Like, 
I know it's the 1930s, but when you're starting off sports, like when TV's being, that's a huge deal, man. Like that's a huge deal. And then, like you said, Trump giving the guy a pardon. Like, why is he giving a guy a pardon if it didn't have something to do with, you know, something important in American history or something along those lines, which obviously the NFL does. So I, I honestly never knew that, any of that. So that's pretty wild. The NFL is under sports entertainment. That's very interesting. Yeah. Very uh, interesting. And the fact that the NFL has mob ties, I'm fully sold because baseball has mob ties. Boxing. We all know what boxing has done with the mob. Mm -hmm. My sport has been nothing but heavily involved with the mob. I know all about it, right? So the NFL to be having Al Capone tied in is crazy. Is nuts. I'm interested 100% now. Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> you say, I, you say, I used to have to pull my eyes perk right up. The only thing I like, I, I want you to clarify a little bit more because I still don't fully understand it. Like, how did the NFL become under an entertainment, you know, organization, corporation, and none of the other yeah. leagues like yeah. were able to? That's like, a very good question. Yeah, like, why didn't the other leagues do that? Uh, but they did. I mean, I, there's some things about the NFL that I know that I don't fully understand. Like, for instance, like somehow, some way, the NFL is um, it's a nonprofit business. And when you think about what it entails and the type of items that they sell, I got on the jersey. I got a jersey. I got a hat on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how they were able to legally pull that off. Um, but the NFL in 2022 and whenever, for however many years, has been considered a nonprofit business. And I don't even wow. know how something like that's possible. Nonprofit, wow. wow. You know, that's actually interesting. Nonprofit. That's interesting. Shit, since when? Shit. You know, like, profiting off us. You know, right, right there. I know, right, you know, it's crazy. You're going to get into that a little bit more. I already know. But uh, do you think them being uh, the entertainment has anything to do with that antitrust exemption that JFK signed back in, what, 1950 or 61, whatever? Well, so here, so I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to save that part for later, but I think it goes um, to what you're saying right now. So, since 1973, the NFL has maintained a blockout policy that states that home games um, cannot be televised locally if it has not sold out 72 hours prior to the start time. So, before that, NFL games actually. Um, the only, so basically, they're the only major professional sports league in North America that um, up to a certain period of time required you to sell out your arena to have local rights. So what it tells me is that there's clearly something, there's a connection between viewership, ratings, advertisements, and money. So at the end of the day... If you have an obligation to say, you know what, the only reason I'm going to pay you, well, well you got to pay like $30 million for a Super Bowl commercial or something crazy. Yeah, some crazy shit. Like every 30 seconds is, is, uh, is like a million dollars or something like that. Um, you have to have um, a strong connection to an audience, right? So they look at it as, you know what, if we sell this out in 72 hours leading up to the game, it's going to be a nice environment. You're going to have a bunch of fans there. You're going to have, like, interest, right? And the more people you have looking at the game, the more things you can sell to them. Because if you really think yeah. about it, right, NFL game is three hours long. 
Why? The actual game itself is a 60-minute game. So even if you say, okay, 60 minutes is the actual time, we could say maybe there's another 50 minutes of real time with just timeouts and stoppages. And then you do have a 15-minute uh, halftime. So that will put it at, the game's an hour, that will put it at an hour and a half. So even if you're doing commercials, you could still say it can squeeze into a two-hour window if need be. But the reason it's three, three and a half hours is because they want to have at least a good hour to hour and a half of advertisement. Because that's what the, the whole purpose of TV is for advertisements and commercials. Yeah. And I only think people realize that. So when you have something that's a commodity that's that large, and, and, and speaking on commodities real fast, the NFL, I, I didn't, I kind of assumed it, but I didn't know. So I had to pull some, you know, do some digging to find this out. But NFL games um, currently and have been for a very long time, the most lucrative and expensive rights to buying for any sport and part of it has to do with the viewership. So that's always been a connection. And I think the turn really was the 60s, which is why I, I said I'm going to bring this up now. Because before the 60s, America's pastime, baseball, was hands down the most popular sport in America. The 60s is really where you saw that turn and the change in the guard from baseball to football and the stuff that you brought up, Bobby. Um Obviously, the TV deals. And then at that point in time, too, if you're talking about, you know, we'll excuse the 20s because I would say the first decade is a learning curve. You're figuring things out. But from the 30s up to the 60s, now you've got a three-decade window to, like, measure things and then do what you can and take it to the next level. So I think that was, like, the perfect time where, hey, we have all this stuff figured out. Boom, here's our next move. And then later in the same decade, that's when um, the Super Bowl starts. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, like uh – when he signed that deal, I was looking. I was looking into it as well, and it dates all the way up till today. Like the league can still change what they want to be under organized, but when he signed the, right. it was like the sports broadcasting antitrust exception, and basically what it did it allowed them to pretty much make their business entertainment and rig it. But the only ones that joined it was NFL. All the other sports like didn't change their associations, their corporations, nothing. Just oh, you know what? Just I just remember something. I just, you know, you know why they didn't do that. So the reason they didn't do that is because up until the year 2014, the NFL was the only um, network that had a. Um, so there's this law. So I guess I should bring the law. There is a anti-siphoning rule, which is basically a law, and a lot of other teams could, uh, I mean, other leagues could basically face some type of legal ramifications because at a certain point in time, um, anti-siphoning was considered to be unconstitutional. So um, in the USA, at least, it was introduced um, by the FCC in 1975. But the reason it didn't stay long term is because it, as soon as it was installed, basically, in 75, they looked at it and said, yeah, we can't do this because it's unconstitutional. So we're not going to allow for this to happen. But somehow, some way, even something that's deemed to be unconstitutional, the NFL, in a sense, was given a presidential pardon as a leak. And up until, like you said, modern times, 2014, um, this stuff was in effect. I think a lot of it has to do with backdating to some of the owners that predated, that started their teams, that had gambling ties. You know, now that you brought yeah. that up, yeah, absolutely. it ties in. Well, the thing about it, too, and we'll never know this stuff 100% um, for certain, but just because you're gambling, as you know, doesn't always mean that you're winning. So if things don't go according to plan or maybe you 
you know, try to double cross somebody or lie, they might look at it and say, yo, you owe me X amount of money and we're not going to put hands on you or kill you so long as things go my way. So they might have had some debts they had to clear up and it had to let things go for a certain amount of time until everybody was, you know, happy or they got to, a, you know, even putting on a negotiation. Yeah. And I, it, that's true. I like, you know, like not like since you've brought it up, like the, the, how the owners and all the gambling, the racketeering and all that pretty crazy. Like, I didn't know any of that. Like, I'm pretty sure nobody knows that. And, like, it might not seem like a big deal to a lot of people, but we know, like, like PJ brought up boxing. Like, it was huge. And it changed the sport how it is today. It changed how it's promoted. Like, the, the beginning exactly. era has a lot to exactly do with it. Yeah, it sounds exactly like boxing, just in a bigger thing. Well, yeah, it is. And that's, what I'm listening to. that's what I'm listening to is a story about boxing right now. It's crazy. Well, here's the thing, too. So... We know that the NFL is uh, somehow a nonprofit organization, and we know that they're under sports entertainment. So I'm gonna make a lot. Of, I'm gonna make a few wrestling parallels to kind of help uh, drive the point home and to make it make sense. So the NFL is not a competitive sports league comprised of 32 separate entities that compete against each other and are their own business commodities. What the NFL is, like they say, it's the shield, right? So what exactly does that mean? It means that there is money that goes into a big pot that gets evenly distributed before any before any games or anything takes place. The majority of this money comes from the TV deals. So right now the NFL has a five network deal. I think it's like Amazon, Fox, NBC, ABC, and then ESPN. ESPN is basically Disney because Disney owns ABC, ESPN, a bunch of um, organizations. So the thing is, it varies year to year, and it varies between um, contributions between each network. But before the season even starts, the NFL, like their house money, is anywhere between eight to ten billion dollars, which is uh, based off of the TV deal. So what happens is that eight to uh, depending, we'll just say it's ten, right? Just to make a solid even number. So say you got eight billion dollars um, to start off, right? There's thirty-two teams. That money is evenly distributed to all teams so that they have a base footing as far as their network. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense because let's just be honest. I'm not saying it because I'm an Eagles fan. I think I'm better than anybody else or whatever the case may be. A lot of these organizations are crap. Detroit Lions, um, up until recently, the Bengals, the Browns, the Jaguars, the Jets. These teams stink. They constantly stink. They get high draft picks. They do nothing with them. They have poor upper management. You can't get started to um, go there in free agency. They never have good head coaches. How in the hell is uh, these teams worth billions of dollars when they stink? Even their fan bases have times where they're up and down and they don't even sell out the arenas. How do they make so much money? And it's because you can have a team that's been successful the past 20 years like the Patriots. You can have a team that stinks like Cowboys still have great marketing and a great history behind them. And they're the, actually one of, if not the most valuable franchises in their box office. Like people, they're, 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 their fans will say, how about them boys just are here and everybody else just wants to see them lose. So, but it, it's, it's valuable commodity marketing and dollars wise. So you can have teams that bring in this extra revenue and they'll keep a lot of it and maintain it for their own team's rights. But it gets redistributed. All that money gets redistributed. So these teams that are barely cutting the mustard never make the playoffs unless you do fantasy football. Nobody knows these guys, uh, their, their players and who they are and stuff like that. 
this is how they're able to maintain a level of being profitable and being great for business. So that's why when they have these expansion teams, the owners have to agree to bring it in. And it always has to be a number that is divisible by like either two or four so that you can put them in divisions. And then now we can redistribute these dollars and still keep it, you know, the appearance of being competitive. Let's be real. These teams don't have a shot at winning. But if you notice, and I include the Cincinnati Bengals run this year, those teams from a, uh, I guess you could say, an entertainment aspect, the, the, the purpose they serve is um, the underdog role or that Cinderella story. You know what I mean? Like, these teams never win. And then, you know, the Jaguars, it was like they were um, going to the NFL, I think it was, what, 95 or 96. And they were a good team, but nobody expected them to be good. And then suddenly out of nowhere, they make it all the way to the AFC Championship. They beat John Elway's Broncos and stuff like that. And then they did the same thing a couple of years ago when, you know, they went all the way to the conference championship. But then this time they lose, you know, um, to Brady and stuff like that. So these are teams that they have a purpose, just like any, you know, wrestler, you know, that's a low tier undercard. Might you know win the Royal Rumble, get the WrestleMania match, but loses, or doesn't even win the Royal Rumble. They just last in there for like 30, 40 minutes. They eliminate all these people. And he's like, oh wait, it might be their shot, and they're getting close to going to WrestleMania. Maybe they'll be the champion, and then the heavyweight, you know, superstar comes and knocks them out. So that's kind of like and, you know, some people are gonna say that's speculative and stuff like that, but I always say time tells the truth. Um, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you know you can gauge history, and, and the thing about it too. Um, some of these teams, even though like the modern fans don't regard anything pre-Super Bowl, like in the time of, um, you know, years past and decades past, some of these teams were quote-unquote dynasties of the time, right? So as long as they were able to have their run, regardless of whether it was in, in a um, modern age or not, and they're still in the league and they are a um, commodity that makes money, the people that make money off of them don't care how good they are. Because even if you are a, a competitive person, we're all competitive. Would you stick around and say, hey, I've been running this team for 20 years. We stink. And I'm just going to keep at it for money. Like guys that are serious about uh, being competitive want to win. But this is not a competitive league. It's a money league. So they, the reason they join and the reason they stay are for totally different reasons. So what do you guys um, input on everything I'm just talking about? Oh, you're absolutely right. You know, I like you brought up the Jacksonville Jaguars because it brings you – like people don't understand, it brings them back to the TV deals and the blackout. There was multiple times, if we remember, they were one of the only teams that got blacked out. Yet somehow they are still valued at a 20th overall in the NFL somehow. Value team. How is that possible? They've had two good years in the franchise. Well, they're they're, they're number, like they're valued at twenty, so they're not, they're not even in thirty second place or like thirty or nothing. They are. Yeah. yeah. So they're on this list right here. They are. No, I'm sorry. They're number. They're number twenty five. They're, st- they're still valued at two point eight. You know billion. what? How? <laughs> like how? And what you just the said. Is the only true. thing. The only thing I can think of is just because. Florida is a um, a state that there's no income tax, so maybe that has something to do with how they draw in money. So, say ten million dollars made in Jacksonville is a solid ten, whereas though ten uh, million made in somewhere like say like California, somewhere that has high taxes, yeah. might be like seven point five. Yeah. So that's something I can really think you know, of because California also, does have a couple teams. I also think like like going back to the beginning of the guys that are the owners of the teams as well. Like you just said, like competitor or make the money. Their owner doesn't give a shit about competing at all. He just 
brings money. So I think that's another reason why sometimes they allow them to get to the game and then just shit to bed. Like Saeed Khan, man, that guy probably puts a lot of money into the league, you know? Well, actually, you know, I was going to save this for a different part. I was just going through my notes. But I'm going to bring up what you just said because this is something to me that's very interesting. And it has um, its course of history, you know, dating back to, you know, the 60s. But specifically, there's been a, 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 a hard left that's been made since the year 2000. So I'm going to bring this up because you just talked about a very good point about being brought to the uh, bigger stage or the big game and not winning it. So check this out, guys. Since the year 2000, no NFL MVP has actually won the Super Bowl the same year they won the MVP award. And a lot of them actually do make it. So I know everybody was talking about, and I'm, and, you know, I'm not no hockey gambler or nothing, but I did make some money off this year's Super Bowl, and I didn't hedge my bet. I was all in on the Rams. I didn't see any scenario that the Bengals would win, and they didn't. But um, and I was actually happy uh, for for Cup's sake that he didn't win MVP because, like I said, check this pattern now. So I don't know exactly what it means. I just know it's a consistent pattern, so it must mean something. So 2001. Kurt Warner wins his second MVP award. He makes it to the Super Bowl, obviously, to play the, uh, the Patriots. He loses. 0-2, Rich Gannon wins MVP. They play the Buccaneers. They get smoked. 0-5, Sean Alexander, he wins MVP. Record-breaking uh, season. He scored the most touchdowns ever at the time. He makes it to the Super Bowl in and, and a notoriously poor referee game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they lose. Tom Brady, undefeated, uh, 16 and 0 season, 2007, highest scoring office in the history of the game at that time, led by Randy Moss. And they actually played the Giants in the shootout of the game and beat them. Somehow they lose to the Giants. And not only did they did they lose, they were averaging like I want to say like 33, 35 points a game. They don't even crack 20. And I remember Brady talking about in um, you know, Super Bowl week how Classical Burris said that they were going to beat them and hold them to the 17 points. And he's laughing and saying, you know, give us some, some credit for scoring points. We're going to, you know, if we're going to lose. It's going to be in a shootout. Somehow, some way, it wasn't a shootout and they lose. And it spoiled the, you know, the perfect season. Then you got 2009, Peyton Manning. Um, and, and this part might be a little bit speculative. So, I mean, if people want to say it's a theory, it is what it is. 09 was a tight MVP race. So Peyton Manning wins it. He goes to the Super Bowl, they lose. The first half, they were in control of the game. I remember uh, there was a wide-open play that would have been a walk-in touchdown that he threw a dart to Pierre Garçon. He drops it. Then you get the Saints with their onside kick. But somehow, some way, the game was close, and then it kind of took a turn, and then obviously he throws the pick and stuff like that. But that MVP race, if you remember, was pretty tight between him and Drew Brees. Favre had a resurgent year. He was in the mix for a while, but I think he kind of – Eventually, he wasn't going to win it, and you knew he'd be top probably three in voting, but he wasn't going to win it because the other guys just had better records. And as good as his numbers were, their numbers were still elite, and they were in their primes too. Peyton Manning wins the MVP award. Drew Brees wins the not-as-popular but very meaningful Burt Bell Player of the Year award. So the way I always looked at the Player of the Year is like the Player of the Year is kind of like award is kind of like what the MVP would be if there were no politics. And it's also known as the best player in the league that year. So a lot of times guys don't even win MVP, but win that. So when a person, you know, kind of doubles down and wins both, you know that they really had an awesome year. But anyway, 
Manny wins the MVP. Breeze wins the Burt Bell Player of the Year, which would you think is kind of strange? Like, why wouldn't one player just get both if it was a tight race? But because Manny got the MVP, they both make the Super Bowl, he loses. I would suspect that if it went the other way around where either Breeze gets both or he wins MVP, I would suspect the Colts win that year. And like I said, this is just me pointing out a pattern. I don't know exactly what it means. You know, we can talk all day about what we think. It's just a consistent pattern. And I'm going to bring some other things up to correlate with that. But that's 2009. Again, another record-breaking year. Peyton Manning wins MVP, 55 touchdowns, rewrites the history book for the second time. They get to the Super Bowl. They get smoked against um, Seattle. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a disaster from the start. We know hike the ball once in the back of the end zone as a safety. They were losing the entire game. So nothing much to talk about there. Cam Newton. This is another one that's interesting. 2015. He wins MVP, 15-1 and one season. He, he's super cam. He's doing whatever he wants to. He has a ridiculous game in an NFC championship, and it just looks like they're the runaway favorites. He's in his prime. Peyton's over the hill. He, it looks like it's going to be his last year. He's playing bad because he's hurt. Somehow, some way, they lose the Super Bowl. And everybody, and I'm, and I'm not, what I'm getting ready to say, I'm not making an excuse for Cam. I'm making an observation only. If the NFL is as rigged as we can prove that it is, and they knew the determining, uh, the, they knew who's going to win the game, and that was kind of predetermined before they played, to me, that would explain a lot about the Cam Newton play where he got a lot of flack for the fumble and not going for it because, like I said, you don't have to rig an entire game. There's just moments and different things. And one thing about Super Bowls, as we can see with this year's Super Bowl, regardless of how great you play as a defender, it is extremely hard for a defensive player to win Super Bowl MVP. And when you have a narrative, this is Peyton's last hoorah, the defense carried him, so on and so forth, and Von Miller is playing lights out, you want to make sure that you can carry that narrative by him having enough monumental plays that perceive to swing the game, whether they actually do or not. So when that happens and he doesn't go for the fumble, just me making an observation and, and watching it saying, okay, there's probably some manipulation here. What's going on? He probably didn't think he was going to be that open to even have to go for the ball. Because it was awkward. Even if you – I never watched that play. And when you watch it, the way everything happens, it's just weird. It's, it's almost like he, he had a bad um, – you know, he was being a bad actor, basically. So I'm just pointing that out just to say I don't know what happened. And, you know, I'm not sitting here making an excuse to say – you know, um, he shouldn't have uh, went harder and went after the ball. I'm just making an observation to say at the end of the day, when MVPs make it, they don't win the game. And that was just a weird standout play. And everybody called it out because you're like, you're, you, you run the ball, too. It's not like he, Cam's a big dude. He's, he's bigger than Luke Keekley. He's running guys over, trucking, front flipping into the end zone. And the ball's right there. And he doesn't go for it. It's just strange. But um, anyway, another MVP makes it to the Super Bowl. They lose. The following year, right after that, we have the biggest collapse in Super Bowl history. Matt Ryan wins the MVP. It was a tight race between him, Rodgers, even Brady had a good year that year as well. But he wins it, and the NFC is very competitive. He has some pretty good playoff um, showings, especially for him to be known as a guy that doesn't perform at his best in the postseason and in critical moments. And somehow, some way, he makes it to that Super Bowl. He's up 28-3, to three, and... They lose. Now, 
I even watching that game live, I was like, that was it was just weird to me because I recall on the Patriots' first two scoring possessions, which were just field goals, there was consecutive third and long penalties where you know they didn't complete a pass or they didn't have a positive play where the penalty got them basically continued to drive and then they eventually got field goals. But at the point that the notorious twenty-eight to three mark with three minutes left in the third quarter, I remember watching a game and I went back and looked at the data. So at any point in time um, during a game, given the time that's left in the score, they always give you a win probability. Now, some of that has to do with betting, but it's just overall circumstantial stuff, right? So at that point in time, at that notorious 28-3 to mark, the Falcons had a 99.7% chance to win the game. So to, to really crunch numbers and put that in perspective for you guys, 99.7% chance to win means if that exact same score in game was played out a thousand times, there's only three times that they even project a team to have the ability to come back and win the game with that score and that amount of time. And we know how difficult it is to convert one. The Patriots had to get two touchdowns and get not one, but two four, uh, uh, excuse me, two point conversions along with those touchdowns just to tie the game, which means the Falcons would either have to not get the ball and a turnover, something weird would have to happen, or they would, if they get the ball, they would have to get rid of it super quick. So one thing that stood out to me, you know, everybody talks about this play, and it was a phenomenal play, the Julio Jones catch. I personally think that play wasn't supposed to happen. And, and then now people want to say, now, you, you know, you're sticking to the facts, you're going left, and you're getting all conspiracy theory on us. But here's the thing. I rewatched that footage a lot. And I rewatched it again this past week. So the, the weird thing to me about um, that possession, Matt Ryan's getting pressure. He's at, say, about the 40-yard line. So when he backs up to throw, he's right at midfield. He's on the logo. He throws it high outside to the sideline, which if you're trying to throw it away, which would be smart, you don't want a, um, a tip play. You don't want it to stay in bounds for the defender to have an interception, right? Julio being the monster that he is, damn near snatches the ball from out of bounds, keeps his feet, both feet inbounds, and makes the catch, which puts them immediately in field goal range. They're at like the 25-yard line now. So if you if, 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 if you need to go, go back and rewatch the game or rewatch the highlights, you can, you know, like I said, verify everything I'm getting ready to bring up. So he's at the 25-yard line. There's going to be about a little more than three minutes left in the game. You're clearly in field goal range. You kick another uh, field goal, you're going to be up 11 points with, say, two and a half minutes left. That's literally impossible to overcome. It's, it, you just don't have enough time. It's physically impossible. And if you, even if you score a touchdown, you still need the two-point conversion, and you need to get the ball back, and you got to score again. Very unlikely. But what happens is they call a timeout right after that Julio play happens, and then consecutive negative plays and penalties happen. I forget which one was which, but I think they did attempt to run the ball once. Then you get a holding call. It backs you up. Then after that, Matt Ryan takes a sack. Then after that, since he knows Julio is just this freak of nature that can just make catches unreal, if you look at is now the third down play, and it's like third and long, it's like maybe third and 20. It might even be third and longer than that. Julio, I think Julio, and it might have been Muhammad, so it was Julio and another receiver lined up on the same side. Julio's lined up on the inside. The other guy's lined up on the outside. If you watch that play in his third down, Julio actually does like a quick little slant and he breaks to the middle. He's wide open. Now, this guy who just made a spectacular catch for you and was one of the major reasons you just win NFL MVP 
wide open across the middle of the field. And on top of that, even if you don't um, get any positive yards and don't get back in field goal range, the clock's just going to keep ticking. You throw it to him, he's a beast, see what happens, let some time run down. Then you wait, even if you have to punt, let some more time run down, you pin him deep. He doesn't even look Julio's direction. He throws the high outside but to the other side of the field where the other receiver was, incomplete pass. Now you're back essentially where you were before the Julio play happens, and there's just enough time to pull this comeback off and then they get the ball. So I know it was a little long-winded with that particular game and circumstance, but I just want to highlight how more and more money that's being made off of these games, there's more interest that is being drawn. And and, and I brought up um, a fact about that game, too, which was surprising me because I didn't know this. But apparently that was Super Bowl 51, right? So Super Bowl 51 had the um, – there's a specific term for it. I want to bring up the exact name so I don't uh, – um, misstate how it's said, but um, basically there is a closing segment to a game or a TV show in the final moments, and that game had the highest such viewership of anything in history. 117 million people were watching the closing segment of that show, aka football game, and that was the highest viewed thing of this uh, of this uh, kind in. American TV history. So that monumental comeback wasn't just something that was great for um, the Patriots or Brady's legacy or something. There was a lot of money to be made off of that. And could you imagine how many people, um, you know, might have wanted? Because at that point in time, uh, sports betting wasn't legal everywhere. But imagine people that were watching a game at a casino or doing something, things that went and did live prop bets. And how much money, regardless of who you um, bet on, was exchanged just in, say, the fourth quarter alone. There's a lot of money that was being made. Um, and then just to wrap it up, um, you know, obviously, after that, um, there's another MVP that made it to the Super Bowl, which was Tom Brady, 2017. Bergen, you already know what we did for that. That's Super Bowl 52. We walked out the champs, and we were the underdogs, right? So... On paper, our teams were pretty evenly matched. I would even say we were a little bit deeper just looking at our running backs and, and the core of our defense. But they had already been there before. They had obviously beaten us in previous Super Bowl, even though it's new new regimes pretty much, except for the Patriots side with Belichick and Brady. He wins MVP. He's boosted up to be that guy. And he's the defending champion. So you think, you know, is he really going to lose to Nick Foles in the backup? Like, it would be better, you know, if – you know, MVP candidate Carson Wentz was in there and he puts up all these numbers, but somehow, some way they lose the game. So, and, and since then, no MVP has made it back to the Super Bowl the same year. And then obviously there's a ton of other MVPs that just didn't even make it at all. But this is a consistent pattern. And like I said, do I know exactly what this means? No. But when is this pattern going to end? And the reason I brought it up for that time period is because obviously Dan Marino, 84, he wins MVP. They lose to the 49ers. But there was not this consecutive string of what I just went down, like eight MVPs that made it to the Super Bowl and lost. And a lot of these games, to be honest with you, too, were blowouts. Like, you know, some of them were like, like I said, the Seahawks and Pittsburgh was poorly officiated. And that was just always a notorious game. But a lot of these games either weren't close or the there was like some some questionable things that happened that um, looking back on it caused these teams to either win or lose. It's pretty wild. Yo, I'm actually like the fact that you brought up that um the Peyton Manning one with the Broncos. 
I brought up earlier how do you think it's a coincidence that it was his 100th win in that Super Bowl? Like, there's so many other coincidences that happened, like you just brought up, that are like, really, are they coincidences or are they played out? And the fact that, like you stated, how many people were watching that Falcons-New England game, like you said, imagine how many bets were going on on that. You know, people going to the casinos or calling their bookie up, like the odds. Like, they, it was just a lot, and that's huge. Like, people don't get how important gambling is for this. And like you brought up earlier, how commercials and all that type of stuff on TV, how that plays into making more money into the industry. And it's huge because, like, every time, every time a Super Bowl gets uh, – every time MVP makes it into, you know, like a conference championship or a, a Super Bowl, I bet against them every time. Like, they, they never win. Like, ever. And a lot of what you said. It's crazy. And that's, what I, and that's what I said to me, even though it would have been great for Cooper Cup to be first MVP um, from the wide receiver position, that would have definitely uh, raised some eyebrows for me and caught my attention. And as far as this year's Super Bowl, um, but like I said, the fact that he didn't win it and then he gets the Super Bowl MVP, because like I said, realistically, that could have still went to somebody like Aaron Donald. It could have gone a bunch of different ways. And even if people get that last um, scoring drive, they're losing the game, clock's taken away. You get a holding, you get a PI call, and then they keep moving. Now, I'm not saying that those calls were bad. What I'm saying is that they happen at pivotal moments because the T. Higgins play where he grabs Jalen Ramsey's baseman, puts him, and then push him off, there's no PI called on that, but then you get consecutive penalties to kind of help the Rams drive, you know, keep going, and then they eventually win the game. So, and then, of course, they're playing in their home stadium. Um, that's another thing. I didn't bring that up. So... I want to say up until the Vikings in 2017, the year we beat them to go to the Super Bowl, if you were the host of the Super Bowl that year, you didn't even make the playoffs. Now, even if you think back to Peyton Manning, like, this dude yeah. never gets hurt. His team always makes the playoffs. He's always top three, top five in MVP discussion. Somehow, some way, his next surgery doesn't happen to a point where he's forced to miss the entire year, the same year the Colts host the Super Bowl, and they have a new dome stadium. So I'm not saying that he didn't have an injury, and I'm not saying that um, it's impossible for certain medical decisions to be delayed for whatever reason. I just think it's hella ironic that it lines up that way. But then, since we've been dealing with COVID and the, 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 the laws and social distancing and these mandates and everything, I just think it's quite ironic that the past two years we've been dealing with this, these are the only two times in history that teams that are hosting the Super Bowl actually get to play in their home stadium in both of them. Yeah. So crazy, dude. There's interesting parallels. I, I, I bring up another point. I remember when I'm not sure what year it was. I think it was 2000, maybe not eight or nine. It was Cowboys host Super Bowl and Romo got hurt, and then they make the playoffs. Same thing. I'm sure if you look back on it, you right. might pick up so many of them. Now I'm, I am going to say this. I am going to say this. Injuries do happen. Football is a contact sport, but the same way the WWE was fake. Because I remember, it, like it was a specific year, it was 1999, right? So The Rock is he has this beef with Triple H, right? And supposedly he breaks his arm, and then now he's got this broken arm. He has to fight the Undertaker in a casket match. You know, there's no rules and stuff like that. So Triple H interferes. Of course, The Rock loses, and supposedly he has this broken arm. Now, now, Bobby, you maybe could speak to this better than I can. You know, being a guy who is all in on nutrition and health and different things, how in the hell somebody, even a guy who's in good shape, 
break their arm and say this happened. It was before WrestleMania, so say this happens no later than March. Has a full recovery and is wrestling without a cast. Wrestling at all, but wrestling without a cast come May and June. Listen, how is that even possible? Listen, you can take as many amount of steroids that you want. It ain't healing you. The the real question is, it never happened. He never broke his arm. He never broke his arm. You physically can't heal. And the funny thing is, like bigger guys like that actually heal slower. It's just a fact. So like, so the reason I'm bringing that up is to say this. The NFL is in the same bracket as the WWE. It doesn't mean that they do everything that the WWE does. But if they can fake an injury for dramatic effect, for storyline purposes, stuff like that, I'm not going to speculate to who and when. I'm just going to say it's not above the NFL's integrity to do so because it's more believable being the fact that most people don't know it's a sports entertainment business and it's a contact sport. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, you, everybody likes to talk about the NFL integrity. You know, yet like they really don't have one because if you look back and you can just go watch the movie Concussion and look up the facts of what happened with the concussions in the NFL, and you clearly see they had no integrity at all. So, like, this doesn't blow my mind at all. Like, it's it's well. Speaking of integrity, I'm going to bring this up, too, because um, I just think that there's an interesting parallel with this. So, obviously, the NFL gets the majority of their um, money from the TV deals and stuff. If you recall, the Kaepernick stuff with him kneeling and all of that and that being um, a disturbance, that didn't really take mainstream um, heat until the 2016 season. That's when he started doing it. He got questioned about it. It became a more prominent thing. The start of the 2017 season, the first, um, I think it was three or four weeks of the NFL, actually ratings perpetually dipped and got worse and worse. And it started off with like a 5% dip up to 15% dip in ratings compared to the beginning of the 2016 season. So and we know Kaepernick obviously sued the NFL and won, and he can't discuss all of the details that was in that lawsuit. But I would suspect that the owners got together and definitely blackballed him out of the league because what he was doing affected the numbers and essentially was bad for business. That was the real reason. Because like, like you said about them having integrity and different things, a lot of people don't also know this, but the NFL didn't actually televise or have this ceremony for the national anthem for every game until the 2009 season where they actually signed a deal with the, um, I think it was the, um, it might have been the Army, It was, or maybe even... Um, it was some deal that they signed. My point being that they signed some deal with another entity to basically give the appearance of being more patriotic. And that's where you started noticing the Army fatigue jerseys and all the different gear yeah. coming out. So it was never about patriotism, integrity, stuff like that, respect for the flag. It was always a money play. So anything yeah. that's going to affect the money is going to be a problem. And the owners pretty much got together and unanimously decided that he's bad for business. So he's out, which is why he was able to take them to court and successfully win. Yeah, no, you're absolutely true there because like a lot of people thought, oh man, they're doing the you know, army and it was their way around to get people back into viewing it because they were losing it by the way they acted on the other things, yeah. which is true. And, you know, some people still don't look at it that way and I don't understand it at all. Like it's obvious. Like why did they do it for the last 70 years? N- not once. Never. All of a sudden they do. Come on. Cool. Well, it, well. See, here's, here's the thing. At the end of the day, um, this is what people, I think, have to understand, too. And, and I can see it just in my lifetime, and I think all of us can. 
society, the standards within society and the things that are deemed to be acceptable and unacceptable change. So because that, you know, evolves over time, what ends up happening is the way you make money and the way you cater to your audience evolves as well. So they're always going to do something that's going to be profitable and best for the money. So they feel like, hey, maybe we couldn't have done this in the past. It wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have been as successful. We're going to build it up to a point or just be aware and say, now it's time to do it. Let's do it. And then if it doesn't work, you know, pull the plug on it and just revert back to something else that is working. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, I want to touch base on this. We talked a lot about the NFL TV deal, you know, TV deals. I actually have a number here. Um, I just want to give you guys a number. You probably, you might have, you might not, but just here, I had it. I lost it. Hold on. <laughs> uh, so the NFL signed in a new TV deal. It starts next year. And so I, I, want, I want to know if you have like information on that because I want to get into a specific detail that I just found out about recently about the NFL and their negotiations with the TV deal, which might make some more sense on your your um, Atlanta Falcons dismantling. Might might put some more sense on why you're not lying about that. So, so here's the thing. This is the information that I got from that. So the new TV deal is going to take place um, starting in the beginning of the 2023 NFL season. Um, the partners are the ones that I mentioned before. So there's five major partners that are part of that deal, which are Amazon, CBS, ESPN slash ABC, like I said, which is essentially Walt Disney because that's who owns them, Fox and NBC. The deal is going to take place. Um, it's basically what's going to happen is through the course of that deal, all of those different um, partners are going to rotate times where they host the Super Bowl. So, again, instead of trying to compete and have one network make all the money, they're going to all rotate years where they own it. And I do have um, a link to the article, so I'll probably just post that um, so people can check that out for themselves and see what years they're hosting and everything. But here's the thing. That deal is for a hundred billion dollars. 110. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, crazy. exact number. But think about yeah. that. So, just a minute. Let me just put this in perspective for people, right? For numbers. When you when you count money, you're just counting in numbers. There's hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions. This is a lot of money. This is not no chump change, and they're not going to leave $100 billion at stake. And, oh, my goodness, we get the Detroit Lions versus Jaguars in the Super Bowl. It's not happening. No, it's not happening. It's not happening. You know, like, Damn. another thing I saw about that TV deal, yeah, it's actually, I think the, the actual number was $113 billion. Overchange, really? yeah, billion guys, billion. Yeah, like, yeah, like I'm not 100% certain on any of the other leagues, but I'm pretty sure it's a higher TV deal than all of the other leagues put together. Which, if you think about it, the NBA, the NHL, and the MLB play superior amount of games, yet NFL has more money in the TV deal. That's insane. It's insane. Well, think about it. Like it's like what I was saying, Bobby. Think about the difference in time. So the average NBA game. Um, like, think about it. So think about it from this perspective, right? An NBA game is 48 minutes of playing time. The NFL game is 60 minutes of playing time. You're not, you're talking about less than 20 minutes of actual sport time difference. 
But look how much longer the NFL program is. It's like I said, because they have about an hour and a half worth of commercials, hour and 20 minutes to an hour and a half. And this is, mind you, not including overtime, especially overtime in the playoff game, because now you have to determine the winner. So every time there's a stoppage or timeout, whatever the case may be, you're going to get additional commercial um, time. So it's all about that ad space in the audience. So if you say, hey, you know what? We have more ad time to sell you to a bigger audience. You basically can run up the numbers to whatever you want it to be, and they're going to agree to do it because they know it's worth their time. It's crazy. I actually, I was actually looking more into that TV deal. Um, I know off TV deal, each team is getting about $321 million, And you brought that up earlier. So you guys can go look that up and see how much money and why these franchises are being drive- driven up. And on top of that, when I was looking it up, in 2020, the league had 42 of the 50 most watched programs on TV that year. So it's crazy. we need to pause on that because this, this is what people have to understand. Again, the NFL is not a competitive sports league. So the way that it views each game is the equivalent of an episode of a series, right? So if you go on Netflix and you say season one of whatever show you're watching, episode three, this is the way they legally categorize each game. So they don't even look at it as a, um, a contest. They look at it as a show. They look at it as, you know, a performance. And speaking of which, because we brought up when the NFL, um, you know, has some legal things. Here's the time the NFL um, actually won a lawsuit. So this is a fun fact for you guys. And you can look this up. And, I'll, and I'll, I think I have an article that I have ready to go. But if not, I'll find it and post it. So there was a Jets fan that was a season ticket holder. So once the whole um, Spygate situation came out involving the Patriots, obviously they paid the Jets twice a year. And he's a season ticket holder. So if it happens, say, over the course of five years, you know, he's looking at it like, hey, these games, um, these guys were caught cheating, which means they had competitive advantage, and therefore I feel like I should be compensated. He was, you know, not just a re- apparently he wasn't just a regular season ticket holder. You know, he would he, he spent some money, right? He spent a good amount of money. He felt like, hey, if my team didn't have a competitive chance to win, I feel like I've been rigged and my money was put to waste. So I'm going to sue the NFL and the Patriots for the act of cheating to compensate me. In the court of law, and you know what happened? He lost. He lost his lawsuit. And the reason why he lost his lawsuit, again, going back to sports entertainment, what they said is basically, hey, you know what? You were at a live event. You went to WrestleMania. You went to SummerSlam. You went to the Royal Rumble. And as long as you were there, the ticket that you had access to was not to a competitive sports game. It was to sports entertainment. So in in the name of entertaining you, in the name of making nonprofit money somehow, we can rig the outcome in the court of law. And they held their hat on that, and they won. The Jets fan lost. So that was um, a big eye-opener to me. Now, his name is Carl Mayer, Carl with a C. And this is what the quote was in defense of the NFL. Um, this, is what, this is what one of their statements was. At best, he possessed nothing more than a contractual right to a seat from which to watch the NFL game between the Jets and the Patriots. And this right was clearly honored. So what that, what that basically means for people that maybe are unclear about the legal ramifications of that, legally, we can do whatever we want in, the, in, in on that arena. And as long as you were physically there and you got to witness what happened, 
you can't sue it. That would be like the equivalent of him suing the NFL because they didn't have a competitive advantage would be the equivalent of a fan suing Vince McMahon at, um, you know, the WrestleMania where Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker said, The Undertaker has this streak, you know, he wasn't supposed to lose and he lost. So I think I demand a refund because I came to, see, to watch The Undertaker WrestleMania. I came to see him win because he always wins. They're like, well, we can predetermine the outcome. So as long as you were there and you got to witness the match, it doesn't matter. That's unbelievable. That was actually yeah, so like, you got something Yo, what you, what you got to say? Like, oh, something Like, what the fuck? <laughs> as long yeah, as you it too. This is not Like, it, it's yeah. like, I, wow. <laughs> Oh, oh. Unbelievable. Yeah, when I looked that up and I saw that, and I, like I said, I didn't look up the whole thing on it. I knew you would have it. But the fact that they said uh, you bought a seat to the stadium, you bought a ticket to the stadium, they could do whatever they want with the game, and they actually won with that in court. And I was like, yo, it's the WWE. It's literally the WWE. It is. Like, 100%. It's, it's, it's WWE with football pads on. So, yeah. I, I, I like to, uh, like I said, to me, time always tells the truth. And especially now um, when the course of history is changing right in front of our eyes and I got to witness a lot of this stuff firsthand. I, I'm not like, the thing about studying history, because I love to study history in all capacity, all walks of life. But the thing about it is one thing you don't get from studying history is the current state of mind. You have to literally research the mentality of the people or have that OG or somebody alive during that time to give you, I understand this with the history book. It's telling you here's what it's not, or here's what um, the, the, the mentality was of the time, the current state of mind. So being able to live through a lot of the stuff, I can see it. I don't have to have like a recall or refer to somebody else, but check this out guys. So in the, Roger Goodell became the um, commissioner of the NFL in 2007, right? But here's the thing. The first 40 Super Bowls only had 11 one-score games, meaning majority of them were blowouts or in the whining moments of the game, the contest was not up for grabs. So out of the first 40, you got 11 games that were one-score games, right? So since Roger Goodell has taken over the NFL in 2007, we have had nine Super Bowls in that, what, 15-year span that were one-score games with majority of them coming down to the last play. And I can run through them all and tell you, like, I remember them. Like, obviously, um, the, the first time the Patriots lost to the Giants, that, that was a one-score game. It didn't come down to the last play, but the last meaningful play, essentially, was the classical Burrs touchdown with, like, less than a minute left. Patriots got the ball, had to go 80 yards for, like, 30 seconds. You're like, ain't enough Hail Marys in the world to do it. Um Obviously, the second time they lost to him, it was a Hail Mary play at the end, you know, trying to get it to a less than 100% run. The, the Super Bowl against us, you know, the Eagles, oh, they, they just came back from 20 to 3 down. They need another touchdown, a two-point conversion. It's a Hail Mary at the end. It doesn't cut it. Even this this, this year's Super Bowl, um, it didn't go down to the last play, but essentially that last play was the fourth down. Donald gets the burrow. He can't get it off. The game's over. So Marshawn Lynch at the one-yard line, like, again, that was another Super Bowl where, yeah. let's be honest, they, uh, Curse makes the circus catch. He gets tipped. Curse makes the catch. He gets it. He runs it for another four or five yards. Beast Moon gets the ball. His first and goal. They're at, like, what, the four and a half, five-yard line. He gets them to the one on his first carry. A timeout is called, and you're thinking the game's over. They got Beast Moon. Russ is 
he's an athletic. He's he's a scrambler and he's kind of shifty. He can make you miss. You can even hand it off to the fullback. But if they got three more cracks added from the half yard line, they're about to win this game. Now they call a timeout, and the best you can come up with is a pass play, a slant to the middle of the field where the majority of defenses and they lose the game. Even watching it back then and not having, I had some knowledge of the stuff I'm sharing with you guys, I knew right but there. I didn't have all the information. And even watching it then, just thinking with football logic, why the hell would you do that? Like that was weird, and that was just like. Nothing else can happen. There's no more time. And then, like, I, I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'm not attempting to play the race card or anything right here. I'm just being logical and saying, you know what? There was a lot of talk about um, Beast Mode. They want him to be the MVP of the game. He's got the long dreads. He's, you know, um, he's, he's going against the system. He doesn't want to, um, not like in the same way Kaepernick, but the NFL system of being PC and agreeable and I'm just here to do my job. He's not trying to speak to do media day. You know what I'm saying? And he has the big team with Africa and he already had a hundred yards in the touchdown. He gets the second touchdown. He's clearly the MVP of the game. Is that the guy you want to be the story of the off season in between the Super Bowl and the beginning of the next season? Or do you want your quarterback, poster boy, all American, Boston, you know what I mean? Like it, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not I sitting agree. here to say it all came down to that. But when you think about marketing, and like I said, seeing how certain other things later down the line um, affected their viewership, which affected their money, I think they had a, they kind of knew then that um, we, it could go either way because these are two good teams, but we have a preferred marketing um, destination. Like, how we want to present ourselves, how we want to brand our league. And one thing I do remember about this Super Bowl, and I'm not even, like, the biggest guy with betting or spreads and all that stuff, but I remember the spread of that game changed three times. It started off with Patriots being underdogs, and they were, like, I want to say a two-and-a-half or a three-point underdog. That got switched to, they do, oh, raise the underdog in the Super Bowl against these guys. They're the defending champs. People are going to bet on that. So they did, so then they switched it, and then they went from them being the underdog to them being the favorite, and then they saw the line kind of, you know, shifted drastically. So by the time kickoff actually happened, it started off with the Patriots being underdog to the uh, Seahawks being the underdog to actually being one of the few pick them even games. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. So that was that was noteworthy to me, and seeing how things played out, and seeing that the people and the characters that were in it. I just paid attention to that, and then when you see like a, a, a all time terrible call happen. It's just a it's an eye razor, eyebrow razor, and a head scratcher. Yeah, um, it's true. That was the second time it happened to Seattle too, because you brought it up earlier against the Steelers, one of the worst called Super Bowls ever. Against yeah, that, terrible. Well, I didn't get his name and I didn't get the official statement, but a referee did eventually come out from that game and basically say that um, he didn't outright say it was rigged, but he basically said that there was a um, a lot of phantom calls and things that were um, he basically said you never want to be the determining factor of a game, especially a game as big as the Super Bowl. So long story short, he basically said he lost sleep over a lot of questionable calls that were made because he felt like the refs had a bigger part in determining the game as the players did. You never want that. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, like, uh, one thing a lot of people don't know about the NFL is either that the referees are only part-time employees of the NFL. Yep, part-time employees. Correct. Which is crazy. Like, 
So think about that. It, and that's true. I wasn't, I was waiting for a good time to bring that up. Um, but if you really think about that, right? So this is this multi billion dollar so called competitive sport that coaches, players practice, they do all this stuff around the clock. Wouldn't you think the referees need to be full-time employees to know all the nuances of the game, what to look for and do stuff? They think that this billion-dollar commodity is so well put together that they can have average guys off the street come in, and as long as you aren't willing to, I guess you could say, spill the beans, you can be a part of it. Because, like I said, we all know it only takes – one call, one missed call here or there that can determine the entire game. So as long as they know what to do and if, if there is a script, think about it. Logically speaking, the script will make it easier for them to gauge stuff. I just got to make sure this happens, this doesn't happen, it stays on course. You can throw it. And then if you pay attention to, there's a lot of time these referees get together, right, and they're having a discussion about the call. What's that about? Like if somebody is doing their job, they saw it, they have clear view, and they're an official – why is there need to be a negotiation? Like an NBA, if somebody travels, they're not all coming together saying, did he really travel? I think he took one and a half steps from my angle. He didn't move his pivot foot. It's just a straight call. Yeah. So um, that to me is always like kind of weird too. Like why does there always have to be a meeting to get the call? And then sometimes they, they botch it and get it wrong. It's just weird. Well, the yeah. fail Mary, obviously, stuff like that. I remember in the, I think it was the NFC divisional game. I think, I think. It was it was the Bengals game, right? Bengals Raiders. When they called, they had that blatant like whistle was blown. Like I don't know, I like I don't know if he was supposed to step out of bounds and he didn't, or what happened there. But like somebody fucked up there, because like he clearly blew the whistle and stopped. Like I didn't know if I was going to bring this up or not, but since you brought, I have to bring it up now. So you guys remember it was the 2010 season, Buccaneers versus Washington, the notorious fifth down. Remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> McNabb was the quarterback, right? And they got a fifth down to score. Now, I like I said, again, I'm not the biggest gambler, so I, I can't speak to everything involved <laughs> and all this stuff. But the weird thing about that is, right, so um, – I just did some background on that game. So the over-under on that game was 41 points, which clearly wasn't scored. Um, even with that fifth down play, they owned, the combined point total was only 33. So without that, it would have been significantly less. But the interesting thing was they basically, uh, by allowing the Redskins to have the, uh, the fifth down, it allowed them to cover the spread. So without it, it would have been – a lot of money that would not have been exchanged the same way. So I don't know to what extent, you know, definitely a big picture of the NFL's budget that week, how much money they brought in. But just like, come on, it's a, it's a regular season game in the beginning of December against two teams that weren't that good. Why in the hell would you need a fifth down for somebody to score? It was weird. I remember seeing that at the time in ESPN and different places were making a joke. How did they get this wrong? What's going on here? But McNabb finds Santana Austin. And then on top of that, the kicker misses the extra point. So they're like, what's that about? That's weird. Like, like you did all of this, and we give you these extra downs for the game. They're not even going to overtime. And the only thing that we did was help cover the spread on the game. That, that's like kind of stupid. There's your answer. Yeah. You know, like, you bring that up. And with, with the referees, a lot of times, like, you see it a lot more now with the legalized sports betting where they meet up and, like, they'll throw a blatant – the guy the guy will just be doing his job, just seeing it, blatant holding or pass interference, pick, throws the flag, they huddle up. Why didn't they huddle up for the previous six? 
because the motherfucker wasn't supposed to throw the flag and then they pick it up. And everyone's like, yo, what are you well, doing? Well, let me tell you something. I know, I know some people out there are going to see this and think I'm just the biggest Patriots here and I'm not. I'm just, they have a, they've been a beneficiary of a lot of things. I wonder and why. Like I said, the fact that I've, I've watched it in my lifetime, especially being an adult for most of it, I see things in real time. I catch things differently. There's two things that stood out to me. And these are like, maybe people think meaningless plays. They're too good. They would have overcome anyway. I don't know if you guys remember this, but in the AFC Conference um, Championship that they played 2017, there was a play where they were um, playing. Uh, the Jaguars had the ball. I don't remember what quarter this particular play was. They had the ball. Uh, they're obviously already winning a game at this point. It's like a third and long. We know how, you know, hot and cold, but mostly cold Blake Bortles was. Somehow he was just on that game, right? And he throws a dart. It's like third and, say, 11 or 12. They get a first down. It was the first time in my entire life watching football. A flag was thrown. After the play was over and the pass was completed, and then they say it was uh, it was something weird. They said it was either offsides or delay a game. And you know, you guys know, with those kind of penalties, it's an immediate stoppage. You don't get the playoff. How does that happen? Other than the fact of you wasn't supposed to get this first down, so you're supposed to be putting the ball now. Because at that point, I want to say they might have been in field goal range already. And then you know, obviously the Patriots still had to make a comeback, and maybe they would have won anyway. But that was weird. And then there was a there was a play that was later in the fourth quarter. Um, Leonard Fournette, Blake Bortles throws him another dart. He has a pass and he just drops it. It would have been a clear first down and a walk in touchdown, but he drops it. And do drops happen? Of course. But it's like I said, just seeing the way everything plays out, um, it was just weird. Because I told people and they thought I was crazy. I wish betting and PA was legal back then. I would have made a lot of money. Because what I told people was teams that host the Super Bowl never make it, and it didn't happen up until that point. So I told everybody, the Vikings are going to lose to us, and they're going to lose by double digits, so it's not close. There's not a chance that they have a, they can go to the Super Bowl. Now, if you guys remember that game, first possession, they get a touchdown, a 7 nothing. People texting me, talking shit. Oh, so much for your prediction. They didn't score any more points after the game, guys. They lost. We, they got smoked. And I didn't hear anything by halftime. Once, like, once we got that pick six, we were oh, up wow. like, what? I think it was like, it was like 24 to 7 or something. Everybody knew it was over. I didn't hear shit. My phone was pretty dry after that. And it's like, <laughs> I wasn't guessing. I wasn't just saying stuff being a fan. I'm just like, I looked at it from a business standpoint, right? And I said, okay, if I'm an NFL and I get to host the Super Bowl, do I want the Vikings versus the Patriots? No. You know why you don't want Vikings versus Patriots? Tom Brady has never lost to the Vikings. There's another fun fact for you. So if he plays them in a Super Bowl against a team that historically is 0-4, known to be the choke guard, it's a team PJ can't stand, we know for a fact that they are not about to beat the Patriots on neutral turf with Case Keenum. Come on. So think about it. What did that do? It costs you money and it costs you ratings, right? Right. And they had the miracle play too, and you know they beat the Saints or whatever. And yeah. even that, like how it happened, was kind of weird. Yeah. I, honestly, I think that might have won us the Super Bowl as much as the Philly special, or anything else. Because I ain't gonna lie to you, I didn't want to see Drew Brees with Nick Foles. No, no I didn't, especially guys. after his, his his performance in the Falcons game. He barely got by that game. But anyway, Vikings versus Patriots, not a good Super Bowl matchups, right? Eagles versus Patriots. 
was ended up with what ended up happening, that would be best case scenario. You damn sure don't want Vikings versus the, the Jaguars in the Vikings home stadium. And then the last the last scenario would have been the Eagles versus the Jaguars in the Super Bowl. None of those scenarios would be good or profitable for the NFL. So you have to take that into consideration and yeah. look at just logically speaking, hey, even if I don't necessarily rig all my games or something, if I can throw a flag and prevent this team from scoring or, you know, swallow my whistle and let this team go up big and this is my preferred money-making matchup, I would rather that than let the Jaguars play the Vikings in the Super Bowl in the Vikings' home stadium. Yeah. How are you going to market that? That, would be, that is true. That would be horrible. True. You know, uh, I, I want to go back to your statement about Leonard Fournette dropping that ball. And I want you guys to go back and look at the history of Leonard Fournette when he actually does catch the ball, when he gets thrown to. And then look at that play. Because I actually watched this play. Watch it. The way he drops the ball compared to how he drops the ball on a regular play, significantly different. Leonard Fournette's not one of them guys that's like, yo, I'm scared to get hit. On that, he was looking for the hit. He doesn't do that. Yeah. He doesn't do that. If you ever see his drops in Tampa this year just alone, he dropped it looking at the ball. He wasn't looking at the ball when he dropped that pass, which is crazy. Yeah, and you're, you're right about that because he's one of those guys, um, I call it looking to throw in or looking to catch in. So yeah. when he's doing it, he's like one of those guys that's like he's looking the whole time. He's making But all of a sudden he you does know, he, he possesses it. You know, and then on top of that, your other one in the, in the, the miracle catch – that guy hasn't made a like the the tackle that that guy tra- tried to make. You don't make that, and you don't even accidentally hit a button in Madden to do that. <laughs> you know, like it, it doesn't happen, dude. Like it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You know, but yeah. say since we're talking about things that don't happen, you know what does happen? Every decade, a team is a dynasty, and not just called one, literally a dynasty. So this is something I've known for a while, and this is just going back in part to the entertainment aspect, but also history of the game. So here's a fun fact. Every single decade, a team wins at least three Super Bowls within that decade span and is deemed a dynasty. Now, this actually predates the Super Bowl, so I'm going to go all the way back and, and just outline all the teams that were dynasties. So starting in the 20s, the first ones were the Bulldogs, which are now known as the Cleveland Browns. Um, in the 20s, they won three championships. In the 30s, the Packers won four. In the 40s, the Bears won four. The 50s were the only time that I um, saw that you kind of had two dynasties. So the Browns and the Lions both won three championships in the 50s. And I think there was another team, might have been the Bears or somebody, that actually won two. So you really had, going into that last year of the decade, um, three teams that could have potentially been dynasties. And, you know, it's kind of hard to get a current state of mind from the 50s and even with the betting and all of that other aspect. But um, I just thought that that was interesting. So now that created some more homework for me because now I'm really intrigued about, hey, what was going on in the 50s? Um, But anyway, after that, the 60s, the Packers won four. And the reason I bring that up is because this is pre-Super Bowl. Because if you remember, the Packers won, what, the first two Super Bowls? So not even including that stuff, just from the decade of the 60s alone, they had won four championships. And again, going back to what Bobby brought up with the laws changing, all these different things that the NFL was um, a participant in. This is really where you saw the turn and that change happen. And who's the Super Bowl trophy named after? This is the Vince Lombardi trophy. So we know that there's all different kind of connections and narratives and storylines and stuff that, that get played out. Um, now, in the AFL, because that was in existence, they didn't have a team win three championships just because 
uh, before the end of the decade, that league um, kind of like got merged with the NFL. But the Oilers did win two championships in the 60s, and I believe they actually won back-to-back. So had they, I believe had they continued to be um, a full decade of um, a league, they potentially could have um, gone on to win one. So now we're in Super Bowl era, right? So 70s, we know about the Steel Curtain. They got their four. We know about the 80s and the 49ers. They had their four. 90s with the Cowboys. They got three. Patriots in the 2000s, they got their three. And in 2010, the Patriots also got another three. So what I'm here to tell you is um, my prediction is that this is going to continue. And in the 2020s, we are going to see another team win at least three championships inside of the decade. Now, the thing that makes it a little bit tricky is that what I've noticed is that even though they went inside of the decade, it might not necessarily be. Um, like, so, for instance, when the pay, like somebody won in the 2019 season, but the game, the actual Super Bowl game is played in the year 2020. Right. So that's what happened with the Chiefs. They played. It was the 2019 season when they won. But the game itself was played in February 2020. So. I'm just paying attention to who's winning Super Bowls now. I don't, you know, especially with Brady retiring, maybe they get, you know, a blockbuster trade and get, um, you know, a, a Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or somebody else. Um, so I'm going to be keeping an eye on that. Obviously, the Chiefs and Mahomes isn't going anywhere. Um, as long as Andy Reid decides to continue to coach, it would make sense that he has a dynasty. Maybe that's how he goes into retirement and they win maybe, you know, two more, or even three more. And then now it's like, hey, the beginning of my career, I was getting to these big games and going up. Now everything's coming together and I can retire. And you got the Rams. You know, obviously they're in L.A. It's a big market. Um, you know, you still got enough key players that um, can carry. But I'm, And it could be somebody else. The decade is just starting. So I'm pointing, I'm bringing it up to this. Is if you don't believe the NFL is rigged, at least pay attention to stuff like that. And, hey, now that, you know, you can go on FanDuel, you know, DraftKings and all this stuff. If somebody makes it to a Super Bowl, and they already got two championships, and the decade's not over. I'm going all in on that team because there's a high probability that they're actually going to win it. And, you know, I am a little bit of a part-time Chiefs fan. I um, suspect that they might be the team of the decade. So that's just something to keep an eye on and something to um, keep in mind looking forward because when it happens, you'll know it's not a coincidence, regardless of who, what team it is. That's true. You know, uh, I looked at that a little bit in baseball, too. It was always the Yankees. You know, the Yankees won a World Series in every decade except the last one. And I, I always told people, I said, yo, bet on the Yankees. And they didn't win. And I was like, sorry, it's not rigged. Because <laughs> I was like, they got to win, right? <laughs> they didn't win. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe not. But like that NFL, it's crazy how that happens like that. Uh, which, you know, keep an eye on it. Because not only are you looking at the teams, you're looking at the player who won MVP as well. Because it correlates. Right. So if you got a team that won yeah. two Super Bowls and the MVP was on the other team, put your life savings on the, on the, the opposite team. Because it's like, like – and it's, it's crazy because, like, you can't def- defute it. Like, refute it. You can't. Yeah. It's crazy. You know? Since 2001. You, you know, crazy. I, I wanted to bring another thing up about Super Bowls too because a lot of people don't even know they had this. Uh, when you talked about earlier that they already, like, predetermined who's going to be there – Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, uh, he said before that the two teams that are here are predetermined to be here. I wish it was us, but these were the ones that were chosen. He refuted his statement when he said that. And that right there goes to – I wanted to bring that up during your – when you were talking about the, the giant – the Jets case. Because it was like – I was like, did he really say that? Was he drunk? And then when you see the court case happen, it's like, wow. Like, 
Okay. And then you see these stats where three, three, because you think about it, like three in ten in in ten years doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a lot. It's a lot, especially in football. Yeah. Because this is the thing, uh, and you know, I'm gonna bring this up because I don't know if no, a lot of people know this, and we talked about this um, before we went live. So the injury report was it's the Illuminati. They're kicking it's the him Illuminati. Out. They're kicking him out. He's about to come back on. He'll be right back on. Give him a second. Oh, shit. Did, did Larry Johnson uh, get you? Uh, Larry it's Johnson, the Illuminati. Got you, the Illuminati. Illuminati. Bro. <laughs> oh shit! They got him on you right now. You got a lack of shot. What did I say? What did I say? You said but, um, uh, you were talking about the injury no, report. Was, yeah, they tried to injure my device. Um, <laughs> so what happened? So, no, the, the, the thing is, the, the, the reason the injury reports come out and was ever a thing to be reported had nothing to do with fair competitive contests or just reporting in general. It actually was done in connection to gambling so that they know what players were playing or not and how that would affect the spread. Because we obviously know, like, for instance, if, say, Chiefs are playing the Bills in the Sunday Night Football and say, you know, Mahomes catches COVID or something like that. Well, the Chiefs, if they're, say, playing at home, typically when two good teams play each other, the home team's the favorite two and a half, three points. So if now the star quarter is uh, star quarterback's not playing and he's a big aspect to scoring and all that different stuff, you could see an entire swing in the game where they might be a three-point favorite and go to a six-point underdog. So the whole point is the reason for injury reports being installed and being a thing was about betting because back in those times before computers and all this stuff, you had to check the newspaper. So that's the original reason why it was reported like you would any other news and basically know where to put your money or where not to. That's crazy, though. It's true. You don't really see that in any other sport either. I wonder why. <laughs> I mean, in our sport, yeah. Well, well, think about it like this too. So, if you're being competitive and you don't want to reveal your hand, why would you name or why would you list a star player being out? Wouldn't you want the other team to kind of like game plan for that star or think that they're going to be there? Exactly, and then, yeah. boom, right before the game, up oh, surprise, he's not playing, and we got a game plan for you that you didn't have because you didn't know he was going to be there. Yeah, I agree because it, 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 it reminds me specifically of baseball pitchers. Like, how come you have to report yeah. your quarterback being out five days ahead of the game, but your pitcher is the starter until game time and then you pull him all of a sudden? Like, you knew he wasn't playing. And like, let's connect the dots. Let's connect the dots. Remember what we brought up earlier. You um, you had to sell out your arena three days prior to make sure you weren't blacked out so that you can have the local rights to your TV game. So, obviously, if a star player isn't um, playing, yeah, you're going to get some loyal fans that want to uh, still go to the game or whatever. But that's a great opportunity to not go because you're like, hey, if this person's not playing, well, we know what's going to happen. Or at least we think we know what's going to happen, right? So, it's going to affect a lot of different things. And you got to remember something. Just because the NFL has these deals in place and partnerships, nothing is guaranteed per se. So they still have to follow through with their end of the bargain. And part of the reason why it would be rigged is, is to kind of like have an insurance policy. Like, hey, I'm not going to leave certain things up to chance and this messes up the money. And I got a hundred and what thirteen billion dollar deal on the table, and that's supposed to be spread out over these years. And I'm because you got to remember they have their analytics and stuff too. These are the prime time games. These are the prime times uh, as far as matchups and, and different 
times of the year and stuff like that. So even if you think about it, when has there not been a, a big marquee matchup on a holiday or on, like you said, oh, this person's about to break a record. Oh, they just so happen to be playing this team on Monday night football. And then, of course, they do it. They have the ceremony. Then they go back to the game. And it's like you kind of knew this stuff was coming. Yeah. Like, what were the odds that Brady was going to have this good of a year that he was going to break the record in New England? You know, like, I mean. <laughs> no, you, know, but you know what's so funny that you say that? I hear this so often, and it's kind of like they're almost being arrogant and throwing it in your face. They say so many times, you can't script it any better. Or this is like the perfect storybook. It's not rigged. Or whatever. They say it all the time. Yeah, but it's not rigged, though. But they can't plan it any better. Because they did plan it. <laughs> you know, one, one thing I want to talk about. We're talking a lot about Brady and the Patriots. And I, I, I can bring up multiple cases that I even hear the announcers say, wow, like, you never know. Like, I love Tom Brady. We all know that. But, like, why is the game specifically rigged for him? And I want to talk about that a little bit and bring some light to that, why people don't even know, know That's that. That's interesting. Uh we I'm going to let you leave this charge on this because I, I wasn't prepared for that, so I, I'm intrigued. So I, I had to bring it up. I had to look into it because, you know, just because I like Guy doesn't mean I don't think it's rigged for him. Because we, we, we know a point. The Super Bowl against Kansas City, all of a sudden Kansas City can't score a fucking touchdown. Come on. Patrick Mahomes can't find the ball. Doesn't make sense at all. Doesn't make sense. It's rigged, right? Yeah. So we talked a lot about TV deals. Now – I'm going to let you lead it because I know you got information on this as well. Um, a lot of you guys don't know because I didn't know this, but the TV deal in NFL is obviously a big deal. We talked about it. has to schedule in all the networks. Well, the person that runs the TV broadcasting committee for the NFL is none other than Patriots owner Robert Kraft. So if you guys don't understand why games are rigged for Tom Brady, well, that might be a little bit why. <laughs> Which is huge, bro. Uh, not only does he rig, the, is he the lead guy, he leads the negotiations for it. So he's the president of the NFL TV broadcasting crew. He runs the negotiations with the TV deals. And he also is on the board for Viacom, which is CBS. And in 2000, I think it was 2009, he brought in a deal worth $24 billion, which was the biggest deal, which led to what they're doing now for the NFL TV deals. So every time you guys look and say, oh, wow, why was it rigged for Tom Brady? Well, I'm not saying Tom Brady's not a great player because he is a great player. He does great things. But my man Louie, you always ask me, why has it got to be rigged for Tom Brady? <laughs> That's why right there. The biggest money's coming in on the TV deals and who runs it. It's crazy. Like, it's fucking nuts. Well, here, here, here's, here's some numbers. So I did look at specific times and stuff. So, um... Here's some numbers that I was able to pull from the 2017 season. So, um, in the 2017 season, the NFL games that attract uh, th three NFL games attracted the highest TV ratings for 30 second ads. Uh, one was 699,602 dollars that was on NBC's Sunday Night Football. Um, another one was for 550 thousand dollars, 709. This was also NBC. This was a Thursday night game. And if you recall that year, they were split Thursday night games between NBC and um, CBS. So the last one, uh, which generated again, the highest 30-second um, ad revenue was for um, 
$49,791, which was on CBS. So these are all, um, you keep in mind, like, you know, the NFL throughout the course of its history has switched um, which program is on which network. Because I remember, wait, and you guys probably remember this, way back in the day, Monday Night Football was actually on ABC um, before it was on um, ESPN. And ESPN used to actually ha um, host the, um, the Sunday Night Football game. So things have changed throughout the years. So what they do is um, they negotiate TV deals and they rearrange things for what they project to be the highest um, revenue. Um, and then what they end up doing is do their research and then they reshuffle things depending on what times on what stations have different um, ads and, you know, just different ways to get the most bang for your buck for that time slot. So I think what they figured out is that um, when you have games on you know, nationally televised networks, we don't have to have cable, so everybody has it and can see it. Um, you're going to get um, some of the the most viewership or just the most bang for buck. You're going to get, like, they look at it like for every dollar per second, this time slot has X amount more value than some something else, another time slot. So I think they, um, you know, kind of figured that out. And then, like you said, they cater certain things like, hey, this is when Brady's going to play um, the Patriots for the first and only time because now he's retiring. That was a one-shot deal. Maybe they knew about his ending, um, pending retirement. Maybe they said, you know what, he's getting up there in age anyway. And because, you know, I wouldn't even call it a freak injury for somebody in their 40s. Injuries could happen. Let's secure this spot and make sure we do it, especially when now we, ha we have a true changing of the guard when the Patriots just went and drafted a quarterback. You know what I mean? So it all makes sense uh, when you start. I always tell people this. Regardless of what is said or not being said, if you follow the money, the truth will re reveal itself over time. So just follow the money. You know, I, n I never knew that about Robert Kraft, and I was like, wow, makes sense, because right after he became the president, that's when the 2000 Patriots started. Coincidence, right? Well, think about and, and, and look at all of the uh, legal trouble he got out of and think about how exactly. bad of a PR nightmare that would have been if he, one, went to jail, and two, went to jail for the stuff he was um, accused of. Yeah, it's not. It's like, Boston dude, it's crazy. I mean, like, like you said, you follow the money, you see what happens, and then you break it down individually. Like, people ever wonder why Tom Brady always plays on like CBS? Well, that's a big reason because Robert Kraft own is part on the board of him, so he's like, "Yo, my boy's on here." <laughs> you know, AFC. Well, here's the thing, too. Like, bring that up. So, CBS has a um, like I brought up earlier, it has a 78 year consecutive um you know, partnership with the NFL, but I don't know who did it and when, but for at least the past 20 years, they've had um, pretty much exclusive rights, not exclusive, but they have majority rights to AFC conference games and the majority of the NFC conference games um, have been going to Fox since 94. So um, there's definitely something to that and in, in, in which you brought up. And I don't know that that is ever going to change because now that it has been such a, a revenue driver and it's just like, um, it's just like second nature. You just expect it to be on those networks. Um, I think they're going, it's going to continue to stay that way. And then all the thing they do now is just rotate Super Bowls. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy how, like, growing up, Super Bowl was always on the same network. Now it's each one of the four major ones gets one every other. It's like every other, boom. It's nuts, dude. It's like, it's crazy. And if that doesn't tell you it's all about money, because we know damn well, like, if you're Fox, right, you're Fox Sports or CBS or whatever, and you have the Super Bowl for 15 straight years, why the hell would you give up the rights to it? Like, 
Why would you be like, all right, yeah, sure, we'll get it every fourth year? Like, it's just dumb. Unless you're getting the same amount of money to just say whatever. And that's exactly what happened, which is crazy. <laughs> you know, and it also brings yeah, up another I mean, like thing. Like I said, you... Okay. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, it brings up another thing. You guys ever wonder why they can flex a schedule at a certain date in the season and not the whole season? Mm. Like. It's crucial because That's true. they already put this like they put the schedule out at the beginning of the year, so they already know like what games mean something, and then they make it flexed because, like you said earlier, it's a football, it's a sport. Somebody might get hurt that's not supposed to, and they're gonna be like, "Yo, they gotta lose this game now. We gotta switch it," and that's clearly what happened. You know, pr- plenty of times. That's a really good point. That's a really good point that you brought up, um, and. One thing I've noticed over the, I would say at least the past maybe 10 years, um, I feel like there's been a lot more division games at the end of the year. Because, like, think about just our division this year, right, the past couple. So you add another game to the schedule. There was, like, for the entire division, like, I want to say, depending on which team it was, between consecutive um, division games in a row, we know the division winners who host at least guaranteed to host the playoff game. And this is, you know, what determines the whole seeding. So saving it for the end of the year and having the drama and build up to it, it's another way to tune them in and make everything musty TV every single week. Because if multiple divisions are at stake and then just conference seeding, it keeps flipping every single week. It's true. Absolutely. And uh, like one thing also, because like you said, it's, it's the end of the year. What do, what do people want to see? They, they, they're they going to get better viewership from that city when it's a rivalry game, a division game at the end of the year. And when they get the ads for that city and it's a rivalry, they're more likely to get more when the game's at the end of the year rather than putting it week seven. You know, that's why you see it like that. It's And you can, you can right. definitely tell what markets are trying to get to based on what teams play each other at the end of the year, too. Um, there was a game, too. I remember up. It wasn't even the beginning of the year. And I said this all along. It was... Um, it was at the AFC North, or not North, uh, South, and it was the Titans-Colts. Now, the game was, let me bring it up here. We got the Col- Colts were horrible, right? Remember the game they lost to the Ravens in overtime? And I was like, yo, 100%, they're going to lose this game in overtime, but they're going to win the next two games. And I'm like, why would they, why would they do that? Yeah. So my, my viewpoint was like, and it, it proved right, they lost in overtime because it was a great game. And then if you look at the Ravens schedule and you look at the Colts schedule, Colts did the Ravens needed to win that game more than the Colts because of the division, the schedule. But the Colts, Correct. they were able yeah. to lose that game and went, they had to win the next two to make anybody watch the Titans game. Because remember the Titans lost, and they're like, how the hell? They lost to the Jaguars. They lost to Jaguars, or the Titans lost to the Jaguars right. that week, so the Colts didn't have to win. But Baltimore had to win because they were playing Kansas City the following week. So it was like, dude, you could have bet that game logically and seen it, and it absolutely happened. And you're like, look at the fall, like two weeks ahead on the matchups that were on Sunday night football or Monday night football. And it was like, yeah, you know, it, it, it was so obvious. Like I said it in the podcast a couple times when I was talking about the sports bets, and I'm like, I'm looking at the schedule, like these teams are going to win, and they did. Like you can't obviously you can't pick it out with every team, but the good teams that you know get markets that people watch. And they have a good schedule coming up. You could pick it out pretty easily. 
No, you're absolutely you're absolutely right about that. And the thing about it is, people have to realize. And like I said, I I'm not the hugest sports gambler, but I, I got into it. And, I, and the reason why is because I'm a sports guy and I like numbers, so I like to pay attention to stuff. And one of the biggest aspects of what you're talking about that you're right about is the schedule. You have to look at the week before and after what your records are. And you know, some of it is taking a shot in the dark, but I think. Um, you can accurately predict upsets and stuff, too, because you see, like you said, who has a game to spare, who can do what, this, that, and third. And then on top of that, too, it, it allows you to develop, um, I call it a betting IQ, right? Because a lot of times when people first get started, and I made the same mistake when because I, I haven't been doing this long, but the mistake I made when I initially started off and even suspecting and knowing certain things about the NFL's manipulation is, you still want to refer to just purely football logic, and you can't do that. Yeah, you have yeah. to have some kind of betting logic to know what makes sense, what's a trap bet versus what's not. And then as you start to see that and pay attention, and then you watch how the games play out, I can almost tell you every single time um, I can call when a game is being read, there is some manipulation going on. Because what you start to notice is that on pivotal moments, third downs, red zone situations, that's where you get penalties. And that's where you get, um, you know, just random weird plays. That like, think about it. Like, so and this was entertaining. I've never seen anything like this in my life. So that Chiefs-Bills playoff game, between the last two minutes of the game and overtime, 25 points were scored. How many penalties, though? Zero. None. <laughs> yeah. There's no penalty, right? So guys can go up and down the field. There's nobody holding on the offensive line. There's no PIs on offense or defense. There's no anything. Every It's just nonstop scoring back and back. It, it was like you were watching a Madden simulation. And then it is so funny that the Cowboys can't get off a couple plays in 14 seconds. And they lose a game. And they were already on their side of the 50. Kansas City can get a kickoff, three plays, and kick a field goal in 13 seconds. The following it's week. It's unbelievable. One week later. Like, not a year. One week later. And- <laughs> Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, I said so, and, and you, It's entertaining for sure. That's why the thing about it is because people might sit up there and I think what it is is that people, when you hear information like this and we're pulling a lot of receipts, it seems so shocking. It seems too good to be true. It seems too big. Like, it has to be so many moving parts. But the thing about it is I think people that legitimately love the sport and root for a team have this fear that if I see that there's manipulation and I can prove it, I'm not going to want to watch the sport anymore. And for me, I still have love for the sport and I want to watch it because it's the same reason you watch, you know, a Netflix series or any TV drama or movie. I'm not just watching it, rooting for a team stuff. I'm watching it for the entertainment aspect to say, like, can I guess who's going to be the leading actor this year, which is essentially your MVP or some of these guys that emerge out of nowhere. What are all of these players and teams? What's their roles? How's it going to play out? It's, it's very intriguing and interesting. So it, to me, it never ruined anything because I, I never made any assumptions about what kind of league and business it is. And two, it's still entertaining, bottom line. Yeah. Everybody's going to keep watching it, and they know that. You know, like, it, it, look at the Super Bowl. Final two plays of the game. You got Aaron Donald, one man on him. Like, uh, theoretically, and, like, every single person and, in the world knows you double-team Aaron Donald the whole game, which, you know, they did most of it. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the game, the final two plays, he's single-covered. Why? <laughs> like, it, it, like well, I did, did you, But, hey, did you see this, though? They, they, they did, they did a, um, a camera angle from the other side. I don't know if 
if there was any like physical contact. But basically, Jalen Ramsey slipped or fell down or something, and basically Chase was running down the sideline wide. Yeah, they like, oh, oh, oh they had more time. If they had more time, they would have gotten. Yeah. And to me, that's part of selling the story, right? You have to sell the story. Hey, these guys are young; they'll be back. They played better in college. They took the league by storm in their first and second year, and it's like they might not never get back to a Super Bowl. To be honest with you, you. know, but they all, that because too. they did it so early. You can always sell that story. Yeah. If so, somebody somebody sent it to me earlier. It was uh, the last sixteen uh, quarterbacks that got to their first Super Bowl. None and of lost. them went back. I think none of them made back. But dig into that no, more. No, dig no. into that more and look at the seasons that they made it and what they had yeah. after it. It's very similar to Cincinnati, all of them. Which you you brought up okay. before, like NFL always has a Cinderella team. And then yeah. they never come back. I mean, I, I can think of a few. Like, you know, and sometimes these Cinderella teams make it to the Super Bowl. Sometimes they don't. Like a couple years ago, the Titans were the Cinderella team, right? Traded for Tannehill. Derrick Henry's not like a monster. That's you're going into, um, you know, going into tough places, going into Baltimore. Then you're going into New England. It's like, oh, crap, these guys are legit. If they can beat these other teams, maybe they'll beat Kansas City too. And then they fall short. But then now, since they're not the Cinderella story, they're a little bit more respected. You take them serious. Yeah. Now they play another team who ends up being the Cinderella. And like I said, it, it changes over time. Um, and I remember even still uh, the Vikings. How the hell did they lose to the Falcons that year, right? They, the kicker didn't miss a field goal in two years. You're playing in a dome. At the time, it was the highest scoring offense in the history of the league. You got Moss on one side, Carter on the other. Randall was up there in age, but he could still move and make plays with his legs. And it's like... Kickers is missing field goals all of a sudden. Plays that just should be happening aren't happening. And it, 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 you just, like, how does this even happen? But then you look at the Cinderella story, and, you know, that's a part of, um, to me, the storyline. Absolutely. It is. It's a big play because I mean, it happens all the time, every year. I mean, there's a Cinderella story. I mean, New York Giants beat the, 60, beat the undefeated Patriots. They just, mind you, if you remember that that season, they just snuck into the playoffs. Right, they were sixteen. They they were the, yep. Then they ran into the they, they ran into us and took us out of the playoffs. They ran into who they play in the MC championship. No, they played us in the MC championship. Like who would have thought that in was Green Bay, Bay, like a place you don't right. That was Brett Favre's last who right? With with Green Bay. You would you would have thought the stage was set for him. But because this small mm-hmm. six seed came in it's New York. It's yeah. a big market. We're gonna throw him in there the and against the giant, the giant killer Brady, right? And look what happened. Yeah, you know, it brings up brings me up another thing yeah. about how like a lot of teams they predetermined to make the Super Bowl. How about the two thousand yeah. Baltimore Ravens? A lot of people don't know that about them that they had one of the worst offenses ever, ever oh, to make the Super terrible. Bowl. Trend over, trend over. Hey, real simple. We scored first. We'll win the game. Yeah, but a lot of people don't know why they actually won. That's my point about it. Earlier in that season, yeah, earlier in the season, Art Modell said he was selling the team. Team was selling for ass. They weren't nothing. Like it, I don't even know what the number they were going to sell for. It wasn't even a billion dollars. Put it that way, which is crazy if you look at teams now. Team, he ends up saying, "I'm going to sell the team." League ends up allowing Baltimore Ravens to win the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong; their defense was good, but their offense was. Absolutely horrendous. Couldn't even move the ball. But they won. And then they, they sold for a record price, which transitioned into how much the franchises are now. It's insane. So it's like 
Follow the money. What do I keep saying? Follow the money. That's crazy. Big business. It like is, you dude. said in the beginning of this podcast. Big, big business. Yeah. You know, That's I want to bring up one more point. Entertainment. It, it entertainment. is, Entertainment. It's, it's, it's entertainment. I want to bring up one more point, and then I want to let you end it off, Steve. But in 2004, the NFL was in a lawsuit, and the NFL won the lawsuit by stating <laughs> – you can't sue one team because we are not 32. We are one. They, they stated that they were not. Ew. Yeah. Like you said, it was in a lawsuit in 2004. That's what they stated, and that's what they won by. So if, if you look at any other, other leagues, basketball, baseball, hockey, even soccer in America, they're all individual owned. They're all individual teams. This is one. One, one team. It's like it's like a McDonald's. You got the McDonald's. You got the the guy who actually owns it all, and then you got your little franchise owners. That's pretty yeah. much what the fucking NFL is. Yeah. But Steve, yeah, it's all on you now. Finish it off. Oh, I I looked this up. I think we talked. About, I forgot to mention this. The NFL. Another thing that they do that's just interesting. It maybe doesn't have any foreign on a game or anything like that, but. It's always interesting that they always put out these subliminal messages and say things that have nothing to do with the game that correlate. And one of those things that I caught this year, and I'm a screen, I screenshot it, so I'm gonna put it, you know, post it online. But they always like to bring up numbers and you know accomplishments and different things. But this was a strange one that they brought up to me, which was the weather. They always like to talk about the weather of these other plate, like the home teams, um, you know, where what the temperature is in their city. And I'm like, what does that have to do with the game? But the reason it's interesting is because, one, this year, for the second year in a row, the home team um, that hosts the Super Bowl was playing in the Super Bowl. And then, you know, so you have that, and then you have the other team. So it was weird. The temperature, the high temperature for Sunday um, was 30 degrees in Cincinnati. The high temperature in Inglewood, which is where the L.A. Rams play in the Inglewood Stadium, was 86 degrees. And I remember the announcer talking about, oh, look at that, the the, the difference in the temperature of the games is 56 degrees in Super Bowl 56. So it's like even just little stupid things you think have nothing to do with the game and like what are they even bringing this up for? It's just always those little subliminal things to point out storylines and narratives to get you kind of sucked in and to, uh, you know, show that there is some kind of connection. Um, but I just thought that that was interesting. So we talked about a lot of the TV deals and stuff. I brought a little bit of the history of, of, you know, the ties to the mob and Al Capone and stuff. But here's some modern stuff to keep in mind with the NFL. So NFL has reached agreements with Fox Bet, um, Bet MGN, Points Bet, WinBet, and then there's a couple more, DraftKings, um, FanDuel, and Caesars Entertainment. So those are the only seven that have any connections to the NFL and the only ones that are permitted to purchase um, NFL advertisement and media in the betting space. So again, not only did they, um, you know, start with those gambling ties, now they're partnering up with a lot of places since sports betting is legal in a lot of places. What do you do? You run those advertisements on the NFL, and then in connection with that, you have all of these analysts and stuff that make predictions on the games. So whether it's a subconscious thing or a conscious thing, a lot of the viewership and loyalty. Um, for like the pregame programs and stuff is going to be predicated on, hey, if I'm a sports better and I say watch Fox and there's a Fox bet and it gives me some kind of coupon code and these guys are getting predictions right, I'm going to stick with that. So they're, they're, like I said, again, you always got to follow the money and look at the connection between the, um, the, the, the teams, the fans, and other people that make money with them. So bottom line, like I said, like I started it off, 
Don't trust anybody's research but your own. Fact check everything. Um, be suspicious, but also, um, you know, don't be, you know, too suspicious that, you know, you question everything. Don't be too gullible that you believe everything. We're not here to lie to you. We don't have any connections to the league or anything. We're just here to tell you that the world is a stage and this is why they come with the same. Believe none of what you hear and half of what you see. Why? Because even the things right in front of you can be manipulated. And since you're, we're not physically puppet, you never know who's pulling the strings. That's true, man. And I, I, I agree with you about uh, the sports betting stuff, man. Um, I don't even want to get started in that because we could go a whole another hour. But I, I will say, like, if you look at the sports betting apps and you look at the player parlays, all that type of shit, and even more specifically with the NFL, if you look at the halftime bets that are available for NFL bets in apps and then look at how the game ended, every single one of them, I was like, they even rigged the halftime bets, bro. Horrible. I mean, I know multiple times my buddy. I'm going to say one thing. I'm going to say one thing. So I had, I didn't do nothing crazy, but I probably had maybe six bets on the Super Bowl. And one of them was like the little risky uh, bet thing that they had, which is a special. So besides, you know, like put it here like this. Out of the six bets I did say on the Super Bowl, I won four of them. And the thing is, the one I, you know, was kind of taking a little bit of a shot at Jarvis. I'm like, all right, it's a risky bread. I'm going to just, you know, throw some things in here to see what happens. But what I did was I waited until halftime. I was very confident the Rams were going to win, no question about it. But they were the favorites. So I want to say before the game started, they were at like minus 260. So basically, you didn't even get back what you were putting down to win the bet. As soon as that T. Higgins touchdown happened, because I suspected it would be a good game and they would be losing at some point. Those odds went to like plus like 105 or 110 or something, and that's when I put my bet in. So I actually made more money just by waiting and paying attention to that stuff. So we did. again, if you know what to anticipate and you know how they do their business, why not make some money off of it for yourself? Because at the end of the day, you can believe what you want to, or you can you know observe the facts that are in front of you and you know start to develop and do your own research. Because I I cashed out on that, and some people may maybe still cashed out too. But why not cash out with better odds and make more money for the same amount you're putting yeah, down? Yeah, dude. It was crazy because uh, it was minus three Cincinnati. And then maybe like two gameplay minutes later, it was minus one LA. <laughs> and we're like, oh, got it in. And it was crazy because it was like nothing happened. It was funny because like nothing happened for them to switch the line back to LA. But they just got all them people taking that Cincinnati line. It was like, shit. They had all the people that yeah. – because what, what happens in the NFL, I know is from a lot of people that gamble out there that aren't very great at it. But what a lot of people do, they'll, <laughs> they'll, t- they'll take the Rams in the beginning. And then they'll watch the game, and then they see, oh, Cincinnati's minus three now. I better switch the other bet to cover my ass. And a lot of people do that shit, and then they get double their money. So it's crazy. I would say, who wins? Vegas. The NFL. The NFL, and, everybody. And, and, and Vegas. Everybody wins, except yeah. the person that bet it. So it's like if you actually look at it like you're looking at it, you're like it's hard to it's hard to lose. But yo, I just want to say personally, yo, thanks for coming on here. I know with a lot of information, and guys, trust me, he has a lot more stuff he could talk about. But uh, I don't know. This this is just mind blowing. Some of the information you brought up here, I love it. It's probably some of the best things I talk about because I like proving conspiracy theories wrong. And like you said, I want you guys not to just believe what we said here and what Steve was bringing up, but go check it out because everything he said, I 
vouch for it. I know it's true. It's real. And it's it's going to get you second guessing. But it's still going to be entertainment. And that's why we like football. But other than that, uh, Paulie, I'll let you say something. And then Steve, finish it and we'll get out of here. The greatest quote from this podcast was, rig doesn't mean the whole game. And I need people to think about that. I need people to understand right. that it's not the whole game. There's bits and pieces, little details like that. That's all I got to say. Yeah. That's all. Oh, and um, the fact that Al Capone got his fingerprints on this is, is blowing, it's still blowing my mind. So I'm just like, yo, how the fuck did he... It's boxing, like, bro. He was, he, was, he was rigging Leatherhead games. Like he was, he was rigging the games where they were wearing like. Was like He's probably the this one that. Yeah, I'm curious now. Like, is he the one that brought like alcohol into the stadiums and shit too? Like that makes me think too. I, I thought about that. I'm just. I was thinking I about, about the whole about time. Like, <laughs> I mean, hey, good point. Because there was a prohibition thing too, and the NFL was a thing then. Yeah, already. Yeah. It's yeah, it was. Like, I, I'm, huh. gonna, I'm gonna, gonna do more in research. In Atlantic City for a long time, he was in, he, he he sat he sat post in Atlantic City for years. I want to do more research on Al Capone in the NFL and see what else he did with it. I'm gonna look it up. I got like it's more to it, which is crazy. I'm gonna look it up. I want to do a lot of. Research. I'm sorry if, if Al Capone was part of making some the creation of it. It's probably not legit. Like <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you know, I mean. He was about making money. He wasn't so, about being legit. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though, Bobby. Everything that I've brought up and all of the stats, this is for legal gambling. We didn't even talk about what they deem to be illegal and how much stuff is changed on that one. So yeah. that's something else to think about. Yeah, it's crazy. It's nuts, man. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for taking your time to talk about this. And uh, I, I believe the NFL is rigged. And I believed it before I spoke to you. After I spoke to you, I was like, yo, not betting NFL, Man. not touching it. And uh, now hearing a lot more of the information from you, which was eight months yes. ago. Man, it like, good shit. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Good shit. Thanks Listen, for coming man. on. Any Anytime y'all want me to come on, any any subject matter, um, I'm going to bring it in, in, and provide the best content I can. And this is why I didn't want to wait because I know when we talked about it, we said, should we do it this week or next? I'm like, no, this is the week following the Super Bowl. Some of the stuff is fresh on people's minds. Let's just go for it. So, like I said, I, I was surprised myself with some of the things I was pulling up. But, um, yeah, uh, this rabbit hole goes deep. That's all I can say. Yeah, it was, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm sure we're going to see you back on here very soon. We're still waiting for you to get another competitor in, in uh, the debates. Because me personally, I want to see you do, do uh, Ali Tyson or Ali Floyd. We've been seeing that one on there. See, I, I, I won't debate nobody against Ali. Especially not Mike Tyson. Well, not. Nah, because I, be well, I remember we posted it before and it was Ali versus Floyd. And someone was coming at yeah. Steve. So I've been posting that and nobody wants to take a bite. They're all scared. This is what I will. This is what I will say in regard to that. Uh, I personally believe I leave the goat. I think that's a lock. I don't think that's ever going to change. And if somebody feels differently, I'm willing to debate that. But just, I just want to let you know. I have, you know, because my dad had a lot of this stuff. I have actual magazines from the seventies. I have pretty much all the Tyson fights on DVD. I mean, excuse me, Tyson too, but. More so Muhammad Ali. So 
there's going it's going to be a steep hill to climb because I'm going to have a lot <laughs> of material. I like it. And I'll probably, it. if I do it, I'll probably bring the magazines too so you can see them. I just start reading out of it and then like, okay, <laughs> here you go. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a boxing guy, so I mean, I'm, the Floyd one interests me, but definitely not Tyson, Tyson yeah. and Ali. Yeah. Someone brought up I another one. I want to get your take on it. Uh, Ali, I mean, not Ali, uh, Tyson and Frazier. What do you think about that? Yeah, people brought that up. Yeah. Um, hell of a fight. Let's just say that. <laughs> it would be. Can you well, imagine watching that? Do you want to break down to that right now or you want to wait? Uh, now nah, we'll wait. We'll wait. I, I, just want, I just want your opinion on who uh, wins. That's all. Uh, right now, I'm going to lean towards Fraser. But when I actually break it down, you might sweat. Fraser ain't ever seen somebody like Ali. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fraser isn't weak. Like, he can take a punch. But I don't know. I mean, We've seen him in there with a guy like, you know, down goes Frazier. We've seen we've seen him against a power puncher. Yeah. And I don't know. It's hard because Mike does a lot we're, of shit. We're talking about Mike, He doesn't just. Yeah, we're talking about Iron Mike Tyson, not like the crazy one at the end. <laughs> he ain't biting nobody's ear. Mike does a lot of bullshit. Man. He does a lot of movement. Like, does a lot of. Mm-hmm. Frazier does that, too, but. You see, you see Ali. I mean, sorry. You see Tyson going body head, body, body, and out. Like he's never, Frazier never seen somebody like that. That's why it's just hard because I can't count out Frazier because he can't, he can, he can walk um, Tyson down. He has the strength and the ability. I, I, yeah. I'll get into it later. I can't. I gotta actually. Steve's over there. Oh, like, man, I, ooh, he's gonna flip a coin. very tough. And shout out, shout out to only thing I'll say about that is it, it it would be hard for me to pick a winner in that fight. I think it might come down to something that Frazier is not um, in control of. I'm sure you know this, PJ, but he was blind out of one eye. So when you go yeah. back and watch some of the tape, you can kind of see that. And I think the most dangerous thing about Tyson is just that one punch. It's like if he gets caught slipping and say too much sweatness in that one eye or starts to swell a little yeah. bit, and he, just because he's blind, the other one, he could get caught slipping. And it only takes that one that's bite. Why, yeah. So that's, that's tough. If you ever see Frazier's guard when he's blocking, that's why he dips his head down. And that's dangerous. That's mm-hmm. why he goes like this a lot. When he dips, right. And that's what I'm saying. You only get one time for, so, to get hit with a Tyson punch. And that is, yeah, it's that, that uppercut. Is yeah. that Tyson, well, Tyson does a body head body that's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's bang. and comes over. Bang. Well, since you guys are talking about one punch, I got one final question before we get out of here. I got to ask it now. Would you rather get punched one time by Mike Tyson or Francis Nagano? Man, fuck you. I ain't getting punched by none <laughs> Your whole family's going to die. You. I, 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 we, we, we've been saying this since the 90s. Would you take a Mike Tyson punch for five million dollars? I'm like, listen. I wouldn't even take it in my foot because I like to be fast. I'm already the shortest guy. When I do stuff, I like to have my speed. I'm not taking a punch to the foot, and now I got to drag, and I'm like Captain Hook out here. So, yeah. like, yo, someone asked it, me that question. Like I was me. like, I was like, do oh, no like, Yeah, I'm like, how do you answer that question? I'm not getting back from either of them, so it doesn't really matter. Like, doing <laughs> like a body shot. I'm like, I got yeah. no ribs then. I'm dead. Like, my medical bills cost too much. I'm going to die. <laughs> you guys are fucking... Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a little bit crazy. Like, if he if he tried to grab my wife's ass, I would pick a fight with him. He'd probably knock me out, but it's just off of respect. You're not going to do certain things. Like, I'm not scared of you. Like, I'm not... Like, you're still a human. 
But at the end of the day, I'm not going to willingly take a punch from him and say, <laughs> oh, yeah, just do whatever you want, and then I'll be okay after. Yo, it reminds me of that yeah, Kimbo Slice he, he tackle. He's going to have to grab me white ass and shit. I'm, I'm right with you on that one to make me want to rumble me. But he can take, good. My, I don't he can take my wife. Really, <laughs> really put my chin I'm not fighting fair either. <laughs> if something like that happens, this is not going to be a boxing match. Let's be clear about that. I'll probably just bite your ear off. <laughs> I'm quick, I'm quick, and I can box, but now nah, I'm good. Mike Tyson, <laughs> boom! <laughs> but anyway, yo, that that would be something. Yo, we got to do a podcast on the sometimes, like, top five theoretical sports things that we would never do. Because they're right on the damn list. Like, oh, man. Be crazy. That might be number one. Yeah, it might be. I don't know. Uh, the jackass thing and punching the nuts by Francis Nagano is pretty, uh, or the slap shot to the nuts. That's pretty bad. I wouldn't do any of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, I'm good. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> yo, uh, guys, thanks for coming on, Steve. And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We're going to have my man back in the club. And peace out, y'all. Peace.